cuts of land and the starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you please. Don't fence me Morning, everybody, live from the Discovery Design Studios, Discovery Design Inc.com. Good morning, happy Wednesday to all of you. Got ton to talk about this morning. The latest, I guess, the Democrats for 2018 are pinning their hopes on the N-word. On the prospects of President Trump one time saying the the N word, so that's that's the big deal now. That's the uh, that's that's going to be the item du jour. And uh, there, let's face it, though, if there were a tape of President Trump saying the N word, a do you think we would have heard it by now, or b do you think we would have heard it by now? pretty easy answer we would have heard it by now right we would have heard the tape unless they're waiting for october now i remember or i seem i seem to remember back in the day remember the burnett the executive producer the producer guy this was the thing in 2016 you know remember this was the thing in the run-up to the november election of 2016 and you heard about the tapes, the Apprentice tapes, and Geraldo was talking about them. And 
this was a thing then. And now suddenly it's back, I guess because Amorosa has said this, that it's that that's the thing. He said that on the tape or said that around her or whatever. So now we're back to these tapes that weren't produced then and have not been produced now. And so we're now just at this point just making things up as they go along. So we're going to follow up on that. The one piece of news I heard this morning, which was which was disturbing, the, the pettiness of some of these folks in Massachusetts after the Sam Adams founder said that the tax cuts were helping his business. And suddenly... You have this mayor of Somerville, Massachusetts, boycotting Sam Adams beer. And you have the Boston mayor saying, hey, let's not do that. This is a you know Massachusetts company. I don't think we ought to be, be doing that. You have people hanging. One guy has uh, a bed sheet outside of his home. And it is like, you know, shame on Sam Adams for loving Trump and blah, blah, blah. It's just... It's unbelievable the, the the levels that people will go these days just to kind of express their their sore loser mentality. It just is unbelievable, but that's kind of uh, where we're at now. Even the Sam Adams guy daring, daring to say a positive thing about the president's policies, and suddenly his ass is in a sling, and so is his beer. Kind of gotten it's come to this. Now, back to the N-word, because we're going to have to deal with this eventually. Later on today, well, just in about an hour from now, an old friend of mine from the old days is going to be coming in. Her name is Kim Paris, and she's awesome and has, was one of the original founders of the Tea Party movement here in St. Louis. An old friend of mine, and even going back to the days of KMOV and KMOX and everything else. So we're going to uh, have her... Uh, in the studio with it at 7 o'clock just to kind of bat things around. Plus, she has a new business, which is going to be interesting, and you'll find interesting. And uh, you will be able to uh, check that out. Yeah, it doesn't look like our... Um... What's that? Oh, okay. Oh, the stream did, huh? Okay. Yeah, now we're up. Hi, everybody. Good morning this morning. Uh, live from the Discovery Design Studios, and uh, this—if you're just tuning in—we just finally got the app, the, stri- the stream up. The stream is on, and uh, we're ready to rock. So, uh, sorry about that little glitch there. And we have the president's approval rating now at fifty percent. So, in spite of what they're throwing at him, in spite of the hopes and prayers among some of the sore losers that the president somehow is going to have trouble so far so good and most people are just kind of hanging in there watching the economy watching peace around the world and seeing that the president's policies are so far working but we've got rappers you know f donald trump getting kicked off of airplanes and blah and sam people screaming and bitching about sam adams beer and boy and and then we have the n-word thing now, there are some people who say, well, if there's a tape of him on the N-word, then uh, all bets are off. I'm going to you know, support 
him being primary, like Ben Shapiro's out there saying, well, you know, if he said the N-word, then I will support a primary opponent for, for uh, Donald Trump. But let's have the tape. If there's a tape of it, let's see where this is and what this is. Let's, let's stop with the we, we, there is a tape, we think there's a tape, and then not producing the tape. So is, is President Trump going to be hounded by an invisible menace for this long? If you have the tape, bring the tape out. If you've got the tape, if you've got the goods, tell us what the goods are. Get the tape. Show us the tape. And they're making a big deal out of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, this uh, news conference yesterday. It, it looked like 93% of the uh, of this this entire news conference was, was, was about – was about Omarosa. Most of the questions, I mean, can you imagine that the, the kinds of things that are going on and that concern American citizens in this country, or maybe, maybe there isn't anything that concerns American citizens in this country. Maybe things are going so well that the news media has to occupy itself with, 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 with nonsense uh, like this. On Hold on a second here. I'll, I'll go back. Here's, here they are uh, doing the, the job of Woodward and Bernstein. Via Twitter, I'd refer you back to him. I can certainly say I've never heard him use uh, that term or anything similar. Have you asked him directly, Sarah? The president, I didn't have to because he addressed it to the American people all at one time. Why have you asked him directly? Uh, again, the president answered that question directly uh, on Twitter earlier today. Can you stand at the podium and guarantee the American people they'll never... Whoops, why did they do that? Oh. I don't know why I don't know why they did that. Guarantee uh, anything, but I can tell you that the Here, here's, people will never hear Donald Trump utter the N word on a recording in any context. Uh, I can't guarantee uh, anything, but I can tell you that the president addressed this question directly. I can tell you that I've never heard it. Uh, I can also tell you that if myself or the people that are in this building serving this country every single day, doing our very best to help people. Uh, all across this country and make it better. If at any point we felt uh, that the president was who some of his critics claim him to be, we certainly wouldn't be here. This is a president who uh, is fighting for all Americans, who is putting policies in place that help all Americans, particularly African Americans. Uh, just look at the economy alone. This president, since he took office in the year and a half that he's been here, has created 700,000 new jobs for African Americans. That's seven. 700,000 African-Americans that are working now. So she had to explain to him aspects of the economy. She had to later adjust those numbers because there were jobs created under Barack Obama that uh, that that certainly were were something that, that 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 she needed to talk about. But when she said she couldn't guarantee that the president never said the N word, that became the big news that Sarah Huckabee Sanders couldn't guarantee that President Trump has never said the N-word. And I'm thinking to myself, why is that such a problem? How is it that Sarah Huckabee Sanders could possibly guarantee that the president has never said the N-word? Now, somebody had mentioned, well, yeah, but Bush's people could guarantee it because they knew him and trusted him and everything else. But but just as a fat matter of fact, uh, if you were any of you were asked in any way, shape, or form, you couldn't guarantee that anyone you know has never said the N word. 
And that, that's just that's just Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying she's not going to go out there and say, as a matter of fact, she's not Donald Trump. She's a spokesman for Donald Trump. And she says that Donald Trump has spoken for himself, and he says he's never said the word. So why isn't that enough for some of these people? But it can't be enough because it's got to be an issue. And it's got to be an issue for this campaign because, as I've told you the last two days, and we've seen explicitly with interviews with Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the folks, that this is an issueless campaign for the Democrats. They don't have any leg to stand on. Nancy Pelosi, who is the titular head of the of the Democratic Party, still has to go all the way back to Mitch McConnell and and what he said about Barack Obama to give the Democrats any kind of sea legs for this upcoming election. She's digging in deep about the need to build roads and bridges for crime, a WPA project. That's all these guys have. So obviously you can't in any way, shape, or form at this point then in any way, shape, or form let this N-word thing go. And that's where we're at right now with this whole thing. And folks, this is where we're going to be listening to Amorosa until the cows come home. Regardless of how many books she sells or whatever, she is going to be, in their mind, their key to getting things on in November. And it's just not going to happen for them. But they'll, they'll exhaust themselves trying to. And the White House at this point is in the defense mode. And it's unnecessary, but that's where we're at. This is They're going to cling to this, and they're going to devote copious amounts of news time to the N-word and Amorosa, and that's been the big deal. 93% of that news conference yesterday was about the N-word, and that'll carry us. And unless they produce the tape at this point, these people need to pound sand. And Amorosa, and I'll play it for you a little later on, she's – talking about how well the president's even even uh, said well such such individuals as Maxine Waters is he's even attacked her it's like well Maxine Waters went out and explicitly told people to attack and confront Trump supporters the president has the right and indeed the obligation to stand up and support his people the people who voted for him especially when elected officials are in a process of sending out their flying monkeys to hurt people. The other thing yesterday that became a big issue was the the statement that President Trump made regarding Omarosa being a dog and that somehow calling her a dog was out of line as opposed to calling her an a-hole or whatever it is you happen. I guess the dog part of it, is the problem. Had he called her a giraffe, it would have been fine. But apparently a dog in this dog-loving country that spends millions of dollars feeding their pets, apparently being a dog is the worst possible thing in the world and has connotations. The fact of the matter is, go back in time to all of the old movies and 
whether you whether it's a dirty rat or a dirty dog or a whatever. I think just because she's black, I guess she, calling her a dog is the bad thing. If you call Nancy Pelosi a dog, I guess that would be another thing. I don't know. Would I have called? Do I call people dogs? Well, I probably wouldn't. I probably would. I probably would avoid just just for the purposes of debate calling somebody a dog. But when they are in such supreme violation of not only something they've signed, but also of any kind of protocol in the White House when it comes to loyalty to the country and loyalty to doing the right thing, and you're actually at this point violating something you signed, that's pretty doggy. That's pretty disloyal. When you've got James Clapper coming out and defending the president, that's pretty doggy of the person he's defending the president against. I mean, Clapper has been one of the president's most ardent critics and has said horrible things about President Trump and yet came out and said that what Omarosa did was unforgivable. What she pulled off here, Dana Perino, who has been an ardent critic of President Trump, came out and said, this is something that people who work in the White House would never and should never do. In fact, she was there during the Bush administration. She was working under McClellan. McClellan wrote a tell-all book, and, and the guy has never been heard from again. It was such an egregious act of disloyalty and also disloyalty to the country. Dana Perino pointed out that we not only work for the president, we work basically for the American people. And this is not a game that we play, a gotcha game or whatever. And keep in mind, all this time that Omarosa was working for the president and even at that point acting as if she supported him, she was doing this, recording the president or doing whatever she claimed she was doing and jotting all these things down about Bessie DeVos and traveling with her around the country and undermining her. And it's like, wow. This woman is uh, – it was a mistake having her in the White House. That is for sure. By, by any stretch of any imagination, it was a mistake having Amorosa in the White House. And does that, does that reflect on the president's judgment? A little bit it does. I think he – as I pointed out on Monday, I think sometimes he can, he can trust just a little too much. But you know what? She wasn't an originally a, an individual who was – untrustworthy she seemed to be a very big supporter a booster she seemed to put a really positive face she's a minority so i'm sure the president thought that that helped too because everybody was attacking him for being a racist so it seemed to be on paper a a good move to make but it's backfiring big time on him at least in terms of giving all of his enemies the ammunition they would want to go after him so Michael Eric Dyson, boy, he took this whole dog comment. He, he ran with this one. He's on the, the CNN panel. I, I don't know anybody uh, on the panel as usual, but Michael Eric Dyson. So he's there. Here's what he had to say about the whole deal and, and, and about how when the president actually used the term dog, how it was. Yeah, I, I just got to say, though, like the you, KKK. Absolutely true. 
But the problem is, of course, is that she's giving him a taste of his own medicine, a dose of what he's done. But beyond that, it still doesn't legitimate or justify the kind of vicious animus he's expressed toward people of color. And in particular, dog, mongrel. Look at all the KKK language that was used. He's evoking an entire history of assault against black people with dehumanizing languages. So he might say that about other people as well. But when he applies it to Omarosa, and then he applies it to LeBron James, and he applies it to Don Lemon, he's doing something very specific. And we need white brothers and sisters and non-black people who are allies to call him on this. Don't just have the complicity of silence or, oh my God, and wring our hands. This we need to, Michael Dyson, we need to come to the defense of any black person who criticizes President Trump because they're black. That's why we need to defend them. Because when you're black, you're right. That's what Michael Eric Dyson is saying. LeBron James shall not be criticized for criticizing President Trump. Don Lemon shall not be criticized for criticizing President Trump. And yet Don Lemon every single day dehumanizes President Trump. You talk about dehumanizing the president. Michael Eric Dyson, Don Lemon, other individuals who have accused President Trump of being racist and misogynistic and everything else down the line. What's more dehumanizing than deciding somebody is just like Hitler? And comparing them to Hitler or calling them a misogynist when you have no proof that they are a misogynist. Or calling them a racist when you have really no proof when that they are a racist. What's more dehumanizing than that? These individuals dehumanize President Trump every single day. And we put up with it every single day. So the dehumanizing factor here is a situation that is something that comes out of the mouths of his critics, not President Trump. And again, but putting Omarosa and Don Lemon and LeBron James and Omarosa even put Maxine Waters in the group is just an indication to me that these individuals believe that when it comes to black people, particularly black celebrities or black performers or black news people or black entertainers or black politicians, that they somehow are Teflon, that they are coated in Teflon, that you shall not criticize them. Otherwise, you shall be accused of being a racist. That's not that's not America. That's not and certainly it's not justice. And certainly black people can't possibly in any way, shape or form believe that that's a that that's a that that's a positive thing for black people to take the the road that you shall not be criticized if you criticize somebody else because at that point you're only being protected by the color of your skin not the content of your character it's antithetical to even what Martin Luther King said so back to the dehumanizing factor i watched this conversation that was had between Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon. And these both are individuals, and and Chris Cuomo to a lesser degree here, regarding the Antifa violence. I'm talking about what's more dehumanizing than being hit on the head with a bike lock because you're a Trump supporter? What's more dehumanizing than not only being hit on the head with a bike lock because you're a Trump supporter, but watching the person who did it not once but six times sentenced to three years probation? 
Is that a court system that considers you to be a human being? What's more dehumanizing than excusing the kind of violence that we've seen on the streets with Antifa and the destruction of property and the assault on other human beings? What's more dehumanizing than that? So we have Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo on the air together. And Chris Cuomo, like I said, to a lesser degree, talking about this in a, in a fashion where he's excusing it. I think he comes across as condemning it, but then goes along with Don Lemon and excusing it. And it's uh, very disturbing. The Check it out. The law will take care of what you do to me and what I do to you. But to make it moral equivalence, when you're coming at me because I'm saying that you don't matter in this world as much as I do, those are not equivalent motivations that lead us into the confrontation. Well, and sometimes you can't fight people by, you know, praising them or being nice to them. You have to fight fire with fire sometimes. Listen, I'm not advocating. You should be your best. Huh. But when President Trump fights fire with fire, and, and by the way, that's Don Lemon excusing Antifa, not excusing President Trump. But if you applied that standard that you just heard Don Lemon say, where sometimes you got to... You have to fight fire with fire. Sometimes. Oh, yeah, you do have to fight fire with fire sometimes. And he's excusing Antifa. But when President Trump's, Trump is fighting fire with fire, he's a racist. So let's put it this way. In Don Lemon's crazy world, where black people are preeminent and shall not be criticized in any way, shape, or form, in Don Lemon's world... You fight fire with fire unless the person you're fighting is black. I think that's, I think that's the, the, the standard that Don Lemon has just set. You fight fire with fire unless, of course, the person who is firing at you is black. Then you just take it. Otherwise, you are deemed a racist. Listen, I'm not advocating. You should be your best. Violence. Those guys going after best. cops, going after the media. He is advocating violence, Don Lemon is. Because he's talking about Antifa. Now, again, you're listening to him talk about fight fire with fire, and yet it doesn't apply to President Trump. It only applies to the people who hate President Trump. Those are the individuals who can fight fire with fire. So we got a lot going on here, folks. We're going to follow up on that. We're also going to follow up on this thing going on in Massachusetts with the Sam Adams Brewery. uh, Brewery. Also, uh, lots of really amazing numbers coming out regarding the economy and – Tax receipts are at an all-time recent high, which you would think would be bad news on some levels. But actually, in the end, it's good news because it's showing that people are making money, although on the other hand, they're handing it over to the government. Even still, even with the tax cuts, even with the corporate tax cuts, a ton of money is flooding into the Treasury. And while that is good news for the government, good news for proving, just like it happened with Reagan, just like it happened with JFK, that tax cuts do in fact work, it might be an indication that we need to cut taxes even more because the government right now is raking it in. And maybe we ought to put a uh, little bit of a of a stop to that. All right. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem.
Greetings, loved ones. Let's take a journey. The Discovery Design Studios. Thank you, Discovery Design, for your support of the almond product, Radio Free Almond. Still had people asking about the the gear yesterday, and you can find more of it and find all the different groovy colors there. Right there at RadioFreeAlmond.com. All kinds of brand new colors in the tanks. Kick me off of Katy Perry. I know that. They, they that algorithm's like just waiting for somebody to play Katy Perry to kick them off of Facebook. So I'll try to see what I can do and make sure we're not uh, caught. I won't let it go too long. I'll just talk right over it. They'll never know the difference. Heather Aberly, thank you so much. Talked to you yesterday morning in Daytona Beach. Talked to you via the stream. And via Facebook, you were able to pick us up there in beautiful Daytona Beach. And so talked about my love of Daytona Beach and how beautiful that is there. And it does look beautiful because Heather went ahead and sent me a picture that I posted on the Facebook page of two hats. We had the blue mesh. I think that's the blue mesh. And the camo versions of the... Radio Free Almond Hats. Right there, divided by a good old can of Mick Ultra. So, Heather, thanks for saying hi from Daytona Beach. And, uh, of course, appreciate you and all that you all do for Radio Free Almond. But, yeah, get your gear. RadioFreeAlmond.com is where you can find it. And knock yourself out. Got all kinds of brand-new colors. Gia was the one who suggested some of the new ones. So we've got the forest green tanks. We have the military green tanks. And we have the uh, the white, the winter white. Yesterday we were joking. We called that the white nationalist white tank because that, that's what might as might as well beat the left to it, right? Call it. what 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 shade of white is that? Oh, it's white nationalist. You can knock yourself out there. Did you see all this stuff about the GOP family members who are trashing them? Because it, it, Stephen Miller's uncle, first of all, is being is going making the rounds on TV. You know, White House advisor Stephen Miller is making the rounds on TV, and so is his congressman's son, who's decided that he's going to make a big ass deal over his over his dad on Twitter. That's and actually it's it's really actually kind of uncomfortable to to watch. And yet it really doesn't stop the it it doesn't stop people like Brian Williams and others from making a story out of it and 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 making the story out of it with glee by the way. And to me it's more uncomfortable. To me when when family members are in a situation where they come out publicly and attack members of their own family, it 
it really does become uncomfortable. I, and, and this is, and I don't care if even if it's even if it were to be a, a Democrat or whatever, I would I would feel uncomfortable making that a story. But it certainly doesn't stop Brian Williams and his gang. Yeah, check this out. This is from uh, MSNBC. Once a day, easily once a day, a major publication publishes an essay about the death of civility in our country. It's been said that before our current political time, the era of Trump perhaps, we didn't have the power to tear apart families based only on the politics. And I love it when these guys talk about the death of civility, by the way. I mean, this is, this is while they're watching Antifa beating people's heads in and lighting things on fire and breaking windows and other things and getting away with it, by the way. They'll, they'll, they'll almost tell us a story about a riot someplace that Antifa is leading and then the very next moment give us a story about the death of civility and, and then talk about Trump being the person who's overseeing the death of civility. Right after they're showing us pictures of people breaking windows with handkerchiefs over their faces. I guess they don't count. And, and, and I guess the, the dozens or so people killed every weekend in Chicago, that doesn't count either. That's, that's not counting as the death of civility either. Or for that matter, calling somebody a racist when you don't have any proof. That doesn't count as the death of civility either. No, it's just President Trump and his tweets. That's the, that's the death of civility. It's just President Trump responding to his critics. See, in the past, Republicans always used to take all the crap that was sent to them. Now that we have a guy who's fighting back, and not everybody's going to agree with the way that President Trump fights back. Would I get an entanglement with LeBron James? Probably not. But you have to also understand that President Trump has a different personality. What we got is what we got. We got a guy from Queens who doesn't take any crap from anybody and never has. You will let the guy from the White House who doesn't speak in tones that the blue blood Republicans have traditionally spoken in. He doesn't speak in the kind of refined, ledoux, Republican kind of proper speak tones or whatever it happens to be. He's a, he's a guy from Queens, people. And, and that's just where we're at. And if you don't like it, then don't vote for him again in 2020. But you knew, you, you knew what the guy was in the run-up to the election, and we approved. And, and we didn't mind some of the unrefined aspects of President Trump because we knew that when it counted, he was going to be there for us, policy-wise and beyond. So don't run yourself ragged trying to plug President Trump into your proper hole, your proper place. He's not you. He's not me. He's Donald Trump, and you elected him. And those of you who didn't, you hate it because he's rubbing your nose at it every day, and he just won't shut up. And so I feel your pain. I, I understand it's, it's a daily reminder. Because President Trump is active. He talks. He doesn't hide. 
He doesn't disappear for days the way GW used to. There were times we didn't see that dude for like three or four days. President Trump is out there. He's energized. He's invigorated. And he doesn't take any crap from small ballers like LeBron James. Now, do we wish sometimes he would? Yeah, because it would slow down the criticism of it. We could talk more about the economic developments. But you know what? The economic developments are happening anyway, whether we talk about them or not. And believe me, at this point, the 2020 election is over. You're not going to people who hate President Trump right now are not going to vote for him in 2020. Don't waste your breath. Yeah, but what about these suburban white women? Yeah, that 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 group that we keep hearing about that continually sends Republicans back to office and who voted for President Trump in droves, by the way. Remember when they told us the suburban white woman? Oh, they, they don't tolerate that kind of thing. Oh, the hell they don't. Because, again, like it was with the evangelicals, like it was with a number of Hispanics and blacks, they didn't care. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't electing Martin Luther King. They weren't electing Billy Graham. And they weren't electing their dear old dads. They were electing someone who had the vision and the proper vision for this country that was necessary to move the country along. So once again, you know what? The president, I'm, you're, you're just exhausting yourselves worrying about the level of tweeting and, and the kind of tweeting you're going to get. This is your guy. And and some some of you, it, it reminds you of your dad, you know, used to come into family gatherings and say something weird or say something dopey and oh, dad, come on, you know that kind of thing. No, but he's the president of the United States. There's a stint. You say what? What are you talking about? What's pre- what is presidential, by the way? Because right now, to me, presidential is when LeBron James runs his fat mouth about our president being divisive and everything else, the president's going to tell LeBron James to pound some sand. That's okay. Would I do it? No, because I'd want to focus more on this and that. But you know what? Once again, go back to the personality. You're not going to change the guy. But the election of 2020 is over. The election of 2020 has already been decided. There is nothing that will occur that will change the outcome of the 2020 election right now. Nothing. Except for the president hanging himself in the Oval Office. That's about, that's about it. Then, then, then you can pretty much say the 2020 election is over for President Trump. Because there are no tapes with him saying the N-word on it. If there were, they would have been produced by now. Unless, of course, we're going to get that October surprise we keep hearing about. We heard about the October surprise, I think, in 2016. There was no October surprise. Now, for some people, it might change things if he's saying the N-word. It depends on how he's saying it, where he's saying it, what he's saying it in, whatever. But my opinion is if, he, if it was on tape, we would have heard it by now. Believe me. The kind of stuff these guys are throwing at the president right now, the, the desperation that they have to get rid of this guy – 
and, and get him out of their midst? Are you kidding me? You, you, you think they would still be sitting on a tape with him with saying the N-word on it? And so now, with, with the N-word not being there, they're just happy just to make crap up and pretend it's already been said and assume it's already been said. That's why all these panelists you're seeing are out there acting as if it's, it's a done deal already. But no, uh, the 2020 election, though, folks, is over. It's done, at least on the presidential side. And, and, and Donald Trump will be elected to a second term, barring any kind of catastrophe for him personally or whatever. Uh, he will be elected to a second term. And I'm speaking two years out. The election's over. You're not, conv- you're not convincing Michael Eric Dyson of anything. Don Lemon is still going to vote for whatever goofball Democrat comes his way. He's never going to vote for President Trump. That guy in your office who keeps bitching about President Trump, he'll never vote for President Trump, folks. Don't waste your breath. Keep eating your lunch. Don't worry about him. It's not, it's not going to change. No one, the person in your family who constantly brings up how much he hates President Trump, that person's never going to change. Don't worry about it. The economy and all of the prosperity we're seeing, it'll speak for itself, and the people will show up in the polling places just like they did in 2016. The election of 2020 is over. Anyway, here's that story I was telling you about. The, uh, so Brian Williams with the death of civility. Now, uh, if I can, and, and listen, uh, I, I'm not perfect either, so I, I'm not perfect looking or perfect this or perfect that, but... What is what is up with Brian Williams in his face, like in his head? Like what is up with him when you look at him? And I realize his getup is I'm going to just simply ape the mannerisms of Edward R. Murrow, and then I'll be Edward R. Murrow. So I know I know that's kind of his thing. You know, he'll furrow his brow, and he'll he just he, he's he's just watched Edward R. Murrow tapes over and over again, and so sands the cigarette. Brian Williams thinks he's Edward R. Murrow, and so he's just simply acting. When you see him, he's really just acting like that. He's not really – there's no way the guy's really like that. But whatever it is, his head is just – face is just kind of like crooked. I feel like I'm looking at at a Picasso cubism painting when I'm seeing his face. Like one eye's down here, another eye's up here, and his mouth's down here and his mouth's up there. And I normally don't get that petty, but I was just watching the tape and it occurred to me. And anytime you could make a, make a Picasso and a Cubism reference when you're talking about regular national affairs, it's a win. A win for the culture. Oh, Mark Hasen, so I did learn something in college. I did learn a little bit about painting. Here we go. But here's Brian Williams talking about these family infighting. The era of Trump, perhaps, we didn't have the power to tear apart families based only on the politics in our country. Perhaps you know a family torn apart by it. Well, we don't often see it quite so publicly. For example, 
Virginia Republican Congressman Bob Goodlatte is retiring. His own son is making it no secret that he's supporting the Democrat running for his dad's seat this November. Yet- well, there's something going on there, don't you think? More than just politics. I, I, I think if you looked into that little relationship there, there's, uh, there's something going on that goes, goes way beyond Democrat and Republican politics. This this son has a has a little bit of a Jones for Daddy that I'm not quite sure you could really dig into with just an MSNBC report. I mean, everybody has their differences. I mean, it's not unusual for parents to have uh, different views in their kids and kids to kind of rebel. I get all that, but there's something else going on here but yesterday bobby goodlatte announced on twitter quote i just gave the maximum allowed donation to jennifer lewis a democrat running for my father's congressional seat his father the congressman chairs the house judiciary committee and was among those who interrogated the now fired fbi agent peter strock <laughs> so so son's issue with daddy is that he dared interrogate peter strock who was a hapless unprofessional Hack in the FBI. So that's son's problem with daddy, apparently. You imagine anybody thinking that deeply about the the treatment of Peter Strzok, who by any account was in complete violation of ethical rules regarding FBI agents. This guy should have been fired a long time ago and was finally fired. But and it's it, isn't it kind of odd to have a young man, like a young liberal, that's his like main issue with his dad is that he dared to interrogate the corrupt Peter Strzok. It's really kind of a weird thing. But anyway, knock yourself out of the report uh, there, Brian. Last month. Today, the son took another public shot at his dad, saying, quote, I'm deeply embarrassed that Peter Strzok's career was ruined by my father's political grandstanding. This kid is this kid is all Peter Struckey. He's Peter Struck. That's really kind of interesting to have a young man who decides this is going to be his new campaign on Twitter is defending Peter Struck. The the FBI won't even defend Peter Struck. They fired him. But anyway, that's the story. That committee hearing was a low point for Congress. The political family discord also extends to the West Wing of the White House. Immigration hardliner Stephen Miller, he of the Trump White House senior staff, has been raked over the coals by his own uncle in a scathing (laughs) op-ed for Politico. Yeah, his uncle wrote an op-ed attacking him. Again, it's it's certainly within the the rights of these individuals to say what they want to say and do what they want to do and and chime in here, but that's pretty interesting that they would make a big deal out of this or the, or that a family member would, would do that. I mean, I I would never do that to a family member. Would you, I mean, I, I know you all have issues and differences, right? With family members. That's a, that's a normal, natural thing. It, it happens, but would you ever publicly just come out and, and attack a relative, maybe I'm, maybe I'm different about it. I, I don't know. I, I just would never do such a thing. These people, 
No such luck. Miller, of course, may be best known as the architect of the Trump administration's Muslim ban and the zero-tolerance crackdown on the southern border. But his uncle, David Glosser, points to the family's rich immigrant history. He says Miller's grandfather fled violence in Eastern Europe with just $8 in his pocket to make a life in the United States. Glosser calls his nephew an immigration hypocrite. He says, quote, I have watched with dismay and increasing horror as my nephew, who is an educated man and well aware of his heritage, has become the architect of immigration policies that repudiate the very foundation of our family's life in this country. These immigration policies are designed to protect the country from people who have come from countries that have in the past created people who have attacked and killed Americans. Now, some of these countries have not produced terrorists. Some of them have. But this so-called Muslim ban was designed to protect the United States of America. Stephen Miller's relatives who came over here fleeing violence, that's a different story. And by the way, we have been more than generous with individuals who have been fleeing violence. So much so, the story I told you yesterday about the uh, individuals who are uh, refugees here, Do you realize that more than half of the refugees in this country currently are on food stamps, on welfare, essentially? So we have no apologies to make about our acceptance of refugees and how we take care of them. That's not the issue. And never mind that even if you really want to get right down to it, our immigration policies sometimes tend to be a little bit misguided from the standpoint that we know that half of the illegal immigrants here are here because they have overstayed their visas. They're here because they have gotten student visas or whatever it happens to be, and then they expire and they remain here illegally. That's half of the illegal immigration number. So it's not just a matter of people teaming across our border. You can build any kind of wall you want, as high as you want it, and you are still not going to solve half of the problem regarding illegal immigration. So Stephen Miller uh, probably hasn't gone far enough in tackling the illegal immigration problem, and his uncle is certainly barking up the wrong tree by comparing somebody who arrived here uh, fleeing violence in 1820 or 1890 or 1903 to people who are coming across uh, the border here just because and so they can take in food stamps or whatever. We haven't in the past, we haven't even judged whether or not you're fleeing violence or not. You just come here and you're set up with a food stamp program, and that's pretty much the, the lot of it. So we're a generous country. No question about that. And Stephen Miller isn't making us any less generous. He goes on to write that had his family not migrated to the United States, they likely would have been killed by the Nazis. This is not a matter. I, you, can, you can show the pictures of individuals who fled here to flee, flee the Holocaust, but the people who are illegal immigrants here, the illegal aliens here, are not part of a group of individuals, or most of them, a group of individuals who are fleeing anything. They're coming over here because they know that, well, they can get food stamps, that's for sure. 
and they'll be taken care of, and they have politicians who will be more than happy to give them sanctuary. Now, keep in mind, Stephen Miller and the White House, they've already done the United States a pretty good good favor, and that is we have a lesser degree of illegal immigration than we had before President Trump took office. And that's not just because we've just arrested people, but because people are just not bothering anymore because it's gotten a little tougher for individuals to uh, to just walk in this country and do whatever they want to do. It's gotten a little bit harder for people to be able to uh, to do that. So that's the that's the deal with uh, with the immigration policy now is that it seems to be so far so good working and that's a good thing. All right, coming up, we've got Kim Paris, who is my old buddy from the Tea Party movement long ago. How have things changed? She's actually a huge Trump supporter where other individuals were not necessarily big-time Trump supporters in the Tea Party. In fact, a lot of them uh, wound up kind of parting. Excuse me. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm, I'm unplugging and plugging here, guys. Sorry about that. I should have told you I was doing that. Is that a nice noise for you? Thank you very much. But, yeah, some of them are uh, – have been people who weren't so happy with the president and weren't on board with him during the campaign, which is okay. I mean, we've had situations like that before. A lot of them were cruise people, whatever. There's a little bit of a divide in the, in the tea party movement, but Kim Paris is now full on board and has worked hard uh, for uh, the president, but also by the way, has a new company that you might find interesting. And especially if you're more of a libertarian flair. It has to do with uh, glass. So, Kim Paris making your way here. Although it's raining outside, so you know how things go with the uh, with St. Louis. In St. Louis, if it's raining... There's, there's, there's an automatic thing in, in traffic that, that causes St. Louisans to automatically break. There must be some kind of sensor on the windshield or something. So when a raindrop hits it, you see red lights at the back of a car. I don't know how that happens, but it does. So if you're trapped in traffic, I hope you're enjoying Radio Free Almond, RadioFreeAlmond.com. And also, by the way... For those of you on your way to your first days of school, today's the first day of school I know for my two little girls. I hope you have a good one. Boy, summer's over quickly. Crazy. We are live from the Discovery Design Studio. DiscoveryDesignInc.com We'll be back. I'm going to actually take a little break so I can uh, call home and tell the girls to have a good day. This is Common Sense Radio, people. RadioFreeAlmond.com
sit right down. Waiting for the gift of sound and vision. And I will sing. Waiting for the gift of sound and vision. Drifting into my solitude. Over my head. Don't you wonder sometimes about sound and vision? Yes, we are back live from the Discovery Design Studios and Kim Paris on the way. Yeah. We 
We've got a booming economy, and we're worried right now about whether or not the president ever said the N-word. We've got, we've got, we've got individuals who are just absolutely crazed over this issue, and we haven't even heard a tape yet. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what what the hell is going on here with this, uh, with the standards we have in this country where, okay, if you say there's something on tape, show us the tape. But don't just keep saying there's something on a tape and never produce anything on the tape. They've been talking about this stupid apprentice program for two years now, right? Even before the election of President Trump, they were babbling on about Burnett having some tapes or whatever. And I think you even had Geraldo at the time saying, oh, yeah, we, I, he said this. There are t- t- tapes. And, and there's still no tapes. Where are the tapes? I mean, and, and, you, and you can't just simply say there are tapes never produced them, but continue to have 10-member panels on CNN talking about them. It's, it's, it's defying reality here. I'm going to plug again, put this back in here. There you go. Hey, there we go. Eventually, I'm getting two plugs, so eventually we'll have this all down. And you can't just simply, simply say, you know, there might be a tape of him saying the N-word, and then sit there and spend a half hour of a cable news show talking about the president saying the N-word. We, we, we don't have any proof that he said the N-word, and he says he didn't. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders, now, now the news is, uh, well, uh, can you guarantee he hasn't said the N-word? And we're like, well, uh, she's like, well, well, no. I, Sarah, have you asked the president if he's ever used the N-word? Uh, the president uh, addressed that question directly via Twitter. I'd refer you back to him. I can certainly say I've never heard him use uh, that term or anything similar. Have you asked him directly, Sarah? The president, I didn't have to because he addressed it to the American people. How many times has LeBron James used the N-word? Anybody going to ask him that? Or, or Maxine Waters. How many times has Don Lemon used the N-word? Yeah. He'll never hear. Oh, now I'm getting an ad here. I don't know what what is up with this damn thing. And I'm disappointed it's not a gun ad. It's 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 an ad for a lotus candle. Boy, don't don't put that on my birthday cake. Although it is kind of groovy looking. And they're not getting giving me a chance to skip the ad either. They're going to torture me. Donald Trump uttered the N-word on a recording in any context. Uh, I can't guarantee uh, anything, but I can tell you that the president addressed this question directly. I can tell you that I've never heard it. Uh, I can also tell you that if myself... Good evening. Sarah Sanders cannot guarantee the president has ever said the N-word. How is that news? And how is that an indictment of Donald Trump because Sarah Huckabee Sanders says she can't guarantee he's ever used the N-word? She's being fair. She can't – she doesn't know whether he's ever used the N-word, but she says I could – knowing him, I don't believe it. So what more do these people want at this point? 
it, it's gotten to the point where we are just in crazy town, but we're not even holding journalists or the news people or, for that matter, political commentators to any kind of standard now. Now just the off chance somebody might have a tape of President Trump saying the N-word is all but locked stock and barrel proof that he has said the N-word. We're living in a society where we just simply don't have any standards of decency and honesty that as long as you hate the president, you can pretty much say any damn thing you want to. On to another topic here, which I think is uh, one of the most disturbing things, has nothing to do with uh, President Trump or the N-word or anything else, and everything to do with this sex abuse report coming to us from Pittsburgh. This uh, state grand jury report into sexual abuse in six Pennsylvania dioceses, including Pittsburgh and, and, and Greenburg. In, in Pennsylvania has now been released. It's 884 pages, two years in the making. And it basically points out 301 predator priests in, in, this, in, in these six different dioceses in Pennsylvania. I mean, that is, that is a, Huge problem and a huge deal. Three hundred and one predator priests, and the and the and the stories that are being told about what's been going on there. I mean, I'm not talking over a, over a number of decades. Is nothing short of amazing. Now, am I, I'm I'm hearing something. Is there something? Is there is there something out there that I'm here? I'm hearing. Uh, something, nothing. Okay. I'm hearing something over my headphones. I don't know what it is. But anyway, this report, because I've, I've been in this situation before where there have been accusations of against priests before, because I worked in the, St. Louis Archdiocese, for about nine months, I worked for Archbishop Raymond Burke, and proudly so, but didn't work for him for long. It was, a, it was a complicated matter there in the Archdiocese. I was hired as an advisor to him, and yet I never got a chance to see him, hardly so. That became kind of a problem. But we dealt with the, the mess that was left by now Cardinal Regali. Now, in the archdiocese, and, 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 and hang on here because this is a, kind of an important thing for, uh, for you to, to listen to regarding the St. Louis Catholic Church. So the archdiocese had an issue during the time of Archbishop Regali, and it was interesting how when we had a deal with Archbishop Burke, he was as, it was as if Archbishop Burke was the, was the one who was troublesome for the archdiocese in terms of allegations of sexual abuse. And no one 
even bothered to deal with the mess that Regali made and left. And this is an interesting little insight because I was I was involved in this. I I know for a fact that during the Regali administration, there was an individual who was accused of molestation, a priest. And one of Regali's assistants ordered this priest's pay increased to help him pay for his defense. They gave him a pay raise after he was accused of sexual abuse. And I, I have the documentation. I have the actual... I have the actual letter saying that this person's pay was officially increased. This was after he was accused, and this was during Archbishop Regali's term there. And Archbishop Regali had a problem, and that was that he desperately wanted to be a cardinal. And so he didn't do anything the least bit controversial with the church. So... Uh, while there was some effort to tackle sexual abuse, the thing I just told you about right there, which was that there were mandates of an increase in pay for one of the accused priests, that's a pretty good indication that the Regali administration did not take sexual abuse as seriously as you might imagine they would. Now, keep in mind, at the same time, you had a situation where you had this group called SNAP, uh, David Clossy and these guys, and they didn't help matters much either because they were really, while some people benefited from their help, SNAP was really just a group of attorneys who were who were bundling, so to speak. They were... It's kind of like when you have an attorney who uh, says, when you see the billboards and they say, hey, had a car crash or been injured? Call 1-800-blah-blah-blah. That was kind of what SNAP was all about. Uh, and, and they would basically take anybody who happened to have any kind of accusation, they would take them under their wing and uh, they would they would pursue it. And, and they weren't very nice either. They were individuals who were uh, really weird, some of them. I remember working for Archbishop Burke and I would get these uh, notes from David Clossy. And he was a weird dude, man. And he would, he would send me emails and they were an all lower case. It was the weirdest damn thing. I just never could. I never could figure that out because they 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 were really good uh, at harassing people and at making accusations. Of course, the media believed everything they said and nothing that the archdiocese said, and so they kind of had that leg up there. But they would they would uh, they. They would, he would write me in, in all lowercase, which generally isn't that crazy. I mean, I've texted people and not capitalized a word, but everything in lowercase. I'm like, what, 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 corresponding with E.E. E. Cummings all of a sudden? 
It's like really crazy. And so I, I, that was disturbing. So those guys didn't have a whole, whole lot of credibility either. But sadly enough, uh, they had enough. And sadly enough, the archdiocese at the time had a sufficient lack of credibility on the issue, which I believe I saw firsthand. Well, I saw it firsthand after they had already left. So Archbishop Bergali desperately wanted to become a cardinal, and so a lot of allegations were swept under the rug or not, or just ignored or what have you, and the allegations were with one priest were serious, and yet they increased his pay. I have that documented. But Regali also, you know how, how we, uh, when you talk about things done and left undone when you go to church every Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday or whatever it is, what, what time you go to church? Uh, there's a lot left undone with Archbishop Regali. And, and one of the other things he left undone was the school and parish closings. And I remember becoming uh, part of the Regali administration and the Burke administration and sitting there going through all this stuff saying, gee whiz, did did, did Archbishop Regali have any respect at all for for Archbishop Burke? Because, boy, he, he left a lot in Burke's lap. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One is a situation where we had the state status laws issue. And I wound up in the thick of that whole thing with the state status laws church. And I remember telling Archbishop Burke, I said, uh, this was before he actually took over, but we had a conversation. I said, uh, watch out for Arch, watch out for state status laws. Uh, because you need to be you need to be friends with these people, not enemies of them. And I said that if you go to the parking lot of St. Stanislaus Church, you will see bush stickers on most of the cars there. These these are some hardworking Polish Americans who uh, have busted their rear end and built that church, and you need to be careful with these individuals. You need to. You, you, you don't need to let them do whatever they want to do, but you need to be careful with these individuals because they probably agree with you more than they disagree with you on certain aspects of the Catholic Church and of the operations of the archdiocese. They probably are more friendly to you when it comes to your principles than anybody else. Because, you see, the St. Louis Archdiocese is, is an interesting one. I, I, I call... Uh, the St. Louis Archdiocese, and I told I told Archbishop Burke this at the time too. I said I call them fish fry fish fry Catholics. They're very social Catholics. Uh, they're very down to earth Catholics. They're not marble floor Catholics, as I describe some individuals like Archbishop Regali. Archbishop Regali was used to the marble floor. He's a Rome guy, and. St. Louis Catholics are kind of a different breed in that sense, and, and it's, that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. And so a person like Archbishop May, for instance, was very popular here uh, because he was a, a, 
ecumenical guy. He was very popular with other people around the, the country and, and very popular with other religions around the city. And that was kind of like, the, you know, Catholic, St. Louis Catholics, I guess would be, for lack of a better term, more liberal than maybe other Catholics out there. But a guy parachuting in from Rome isn't going to do really well here. And Regali was that guy. He, he's a Rome guy. And so, for that matter, it was Archbishop Burke. And, you got, and I tried to get through to these guys. I said, listen, man, this, it's a different thing here. you got to be a little different. I'll never forget, actually, uh, when, when the, we had the NCAA basketball tournament here. And we had to do some promo with Archbishop Burke. And I had to get Archbishop Burke out in front of the Basilica to pose with a basketball. And, and the, uh, the, uh, so I had to stand there and he, I had to put him up on a box cause we we're getting photos. It was, they were going to put all these famous St. Louis people up in, in a, in a, uh, in a newspaper fold out thing and all these famous St. Louisans up and Archbishop Burke was one of them. And boy, he didn't like this at all. Me and I, and I, he was up on a box, and here I am throwing a basketball into his hand so he could catch it and have a picture taken of him with the basketball in his hands, just catching the basketball. And boy, he didn't like that at all. And I don't blame him. But he, so, so, so he wasn't, you know, it wasn't his thing, you know. These guys are, these guys grew up in Rome. It was a kind of like, basically, and, and they, and they just didn't, sometimes they didn't get it. And and so it it was it, it was hard to convince them of this thing. But anyway, back to the St. Stanislaus issue because there's a lot I can tell you about. I want to get to Kim here in about ten minutes or so. But but the St. Stanislaus issue was was one where uh, this was begun. The controversy itself was begun by Archbishop Regali, and. And what happened is they 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 were so covetous of their setup, a setup that they had arranged a long, long time ago, like in the forties or something, where they kind of had a separate kind of parish board, and their money was theirs. And in the archdiocese of St. Louis, a church's money isn't a church the church's money; it's the archdiocese's money. The archdiocese oversees the money of every single church, and that wasn't the setup at St. Stanislaus. But what happened was, is when it was called to their attention that this needed to be in conformity with the rest of the archdiocese, they resisted because it had been that way for a long time. They resisted it. And I guess in some ways you could hardly blame them. But then what happened is Monsignor Sticker, who's a good guy, but was one of Regali's main assistants, he went to the board and said, we will excommunicate you if you don't conform. I know that for a fact that he did that. And that's – and on Sticker, by the way, being a Polish-American himself, a descendant of Polish-Americans himself, was the one who was communicating with these individuals. And that's when they were like, OK, that's it. We're battening down the hatches. There's no archbishop on our board anymore. We are our own people. Forget about it. And that's when – that's when all hell broke loose and the you-know-what storm happened. 
was when Sticka threatened them with excommunication and they didn't want to conform. And so it was, it was two, two sides butting heads. This was before Archbishop Burke even got here, people. And then I remember, uh, and this is tied into the, uh, and, and I, I, just real quickly on the school closing, Paris closing, where Gali was irresponsible, didn't do anything about it, and made Burke do all the dirty work. I'll never forget even going to these deanery meetings and things where they were deciding all this. And this was all decided, by the way, based on politics, not anything else. I'll never forget there was a there was a debate as to whether they would close Holy Family or Pius V. Pius V was going to close Holy Family, which was a parish full of vibrancy. It didn't have a lot of money, and they had issues with their school, but they said, you know, if you just give us a chance, we'll be able to get the money and we'll keep our school open and get this keep this parish open here. And before the, the parish closings, deanery uh, meetings happened, Pius V was going to close, and Holy Family was going to stay open. Well, guess what happened? Guess what happened when all the deanery meetings started taking place? Suddenly, Pius V was the one that was going to stay open, and Holy Family was going to close. I'm thinking, how in the hell did that happen? Well, it just so happens Father Leiden, who is the priest at Pius V, was also a member of uh, one of the big wigs on the deanery things. And suddenly, Pius V was going to stay open, and they were going to close Holy Family. Pius V also happened to be a church attended by many people who are like judges and prosecutors and bigwigs in city politics, they attended Pius V, and they would have none of Pius V closing. The original plan was for Pius V to close because it was too big, and they didn't have enough money and didn't have enough people to support it, and Holy Family was going to stay open. Then it just switched all of a sudden. And I'll never forget begging the archbishop to, 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 to keep Holy Family open because that was the one that had the most people in it. It was a neighborhood parish. It was a corner neighborhood parish. There were people who lived around that church who went to that church. Pius V was off a of grand and just, you know, and, and it wasn't around any particular neighborhood. And then they explained to me, well, Pius V is more visible and Holy Family is less visible. And so we're going to have to close Holy Family. I was like, oh my gosh. You got to be kidding me. And so I'll never forget uh, going to this the, the, with, with, with the mayor's office and being with the archbishop uh, and begging him to keep Holy Family open. And he, and he just wouldn't do it because he was advised not to. And that's one thing Archbishop Burke always did was take the advice of the people around him. And even though I was hired as an advisor, he wasn't taking my advice. <laughs> I remain friends with him to this day and love him to this day. But I begged him to keep that church open. I wish he would have. They would have made it. But that was the saddest thing of, of my entire tenure was that failure to keep that church open because it should have stayed open. But because of politics and because the, 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 the palm greasing that went on, Pius V stayed open. It's too bad.
But anyway, back to uh, the state status loss issue and back to uh, this whole deal. So uh, that's how it became a, a big issue. That's how it became uh, an issue. It was begun by Regali, and, and Regali threatened the board. The board then threatened back, and we were off to the races on that. And there's another example. This is where it ties into the sexual abuse thing. The church had been so stung by sexual abuse allegations during Regali's tenure that when Archbishop Burke was advised to to interdict the board of St. Stanislaus. Now, interdiction is an act that is made by the archbishop where you're where you it's a it's kind of a middle ground excommunication. It's kind of a it's kind of a almost excommunication, but you're interdicting them in hopes of getting them to conform with church policy and morals or whatever it is. And then uh, if you they don't, then they're excommunicated. So interdiction was a very serious kind of, of of act on the part of the archbishop, and interdiction of this board of Saint Stanislaus was a very serious move on the part of the archdiocese. So I um I told the people around because I didn't have a chance to talk to Archbishop Burke hardly ever, and and maybe that was for a reason I don't know because I kept on giving him advice that he didn't take so. Maybe at that point, people were like saying, yeah, don't listen to him anymore. Listen to us. And had they listened to me, they would have kept Holy Family open, but they didn't. But anyway, then then the uh, – oh, I, I remember too that he was – they were going to do something. It was an ecumenical deal, and some of the people who were supporting him didn't want him to do it. I said, you should do it. Get out there with these people. Get out there with Rabbi Talvi. Get out there with the Episcopal ministers and things like that. It was something about uh, budget cuts at the state level, whatever. Anyway, didn't want to do that. So it didn't take my advice then either because I wanted him to be part of this news conference, and they weren't, and it didn't work out well that way anyway. But then uh, I told him, I said, uh, here's the problem with interdicting the board of St. Stanislaus. And and by the way, as much as people accused me of being the heavy-handed guy, I was only as good as the person, the people who were telling me what to say, I mean, and telling me what to do. So, I mean, I... And the St. Stanislaus thing was a tough thing. And so, I basically, Jamie Allman was responsible for the St. Stanislaus controversy, apparently. I mean, I, I tell you what, I busted some some asses when I was an investigative reporter uh, for years up through 2004. And the only time I've ever been flipped off at a restaurant was when I worked for the archbishop. Kind of crazy. Anyway. So the, the interdiction was uh, being considered. And I remember telling them, I said, keep in mind, this is, there's a, there's an optic optics problem here with, uh, with interdicting this board, even if they were obviously not in line with church policy. But the problem is there was a deal made with him a long time ago. That there was the lawyer, his dad made the deal. The current lawyer of the Archdiocese, that's another story right there. Finally, I said to my, I had a secretary at the time. Can you imagine that? Me with a secretary. Mr. C. Student. 
uh, secretary. So I, I told her, I said, no more meetings with these lawyers. They're running up the bill for this archdiocese like crazy. We, every time we turn around, we have to have a half-hour, hour-long meeting with these guys, and they're charging $500 an hour. We don't need any more meetings. Oh, no, we have to have a meeting. Allah. So anyway, I said, be, I said to, uh, I said to um, them, I said, there's a problem when you're interdicting the board here, and it's going to be a problem for you guys. Because people are going to notice that that if you haven't, for instance, interdicted not once a priest accused of sexual molestation or sexual violations, if you haven't once interdicted one of those guys, when you go in and you decide you're going to interdict regular parishioners and you haven't lifted a finger to interdict any priest accused in any way shape or form of sexual abuse you're going to have an optics problem because it's going to mean that you're harder on your own people than you are on you're harder on parishioners than you are on your own priests People are going to notice that. It's going to be a bad for you to do that. There's got to be a better way to negotiate this thing and figure this thing out than, than punishing people on a, on a parish council. Now, it'd be different if you were punishing all these priests accused of molestation or interdicting them, but you haven't done one interdiction of any of these guys who have accused of, 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 of violating young people. But then you're going to go and give one of the harshest punishments you can possibly give to a Catholic, aside from excommunication, when you haven't done anything for, uh, against these guys who have clearly violated uh, the church and, and certainly human- humanity. So he said, don't do it. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't interdict these guys. It's going to be a problem for you. So they, uh, they did it anyway, and they did it without consulting me because I remember going home, leaving the chancery, and the chancery rats all made the decision to go ahead and, and follow through and do this interdiction thing, and... You know how I found out that the St. Stanislaus board was interdicted? The Post-Dispatch. I was sitting in my office at home, and it was about 7 o'clock at night or something, somewhere along those lines. And, uh, and they, they, the Post-Dispatch called me, for a comment on the interdiction of the board of this, of St. Stanislaus. And of course I couldn't say that I didn't know because if I said I didn't know, I would look horrible. I'm the spokesman for the archdiocese and I didn't know. So what am I going to say? And so I said something like, well, uh, 
what'd they expect or something stupid like that because I didn't I was so embarrassed I they didn't tell me because what they did was they decided that instead of they would just go ahead and uh, and do it and not tell me they did it and then then I I learned from the post dispatch so that was kind of the beginning of the end uh for me at the place that's when I started to realize that uh that the uh that my job was a job of diminishing returns at that point as much as I still love the archbishop, but it was, it was at that point, it was kind of like, okay, so they're not going to tell me this. And so I was just called flat footed there and then wasn't able to, uh, to do it. So that's how that whole thing worked out. But one of the problems though, uh, and, and that's just a side story. I, I, I kind of went too long on that, but one of the problems with, uh, with this whole thing regarding the, the Catholic church and why, it was built into the Catholic Church's deal uh, with with uh, with the priests. Is because back in the day, they moved the priests all the time. They moved them like every eight, nine months, a year, two years. They moved them around all the time, and the reason why they moved them around all the time is because they didn't want the priests to get too close to. Their parishioners. There was a there was a problem with uh, with with the familiarity, and so what you'd you'd have is you'd have uh, cliques develop, and you'd have people who were kind of close to the priest, and those people would get all the favors, and then uh, and then they didn't want that any. They didn't want that to be an issue. They wanted to make sure that priests were moved around all the time, so they never actually really actually got close to the parishioners. That was that was that was the the reasoning behind moving the priests around, and then you had the other problem that some of these priests, back in the old days at least, all kind of uh, grew up together. They were all in the same seminary, and they went through high school, everything else, and they were just a cloistered group of guys who sometimes never really actually fully matured. Really, to tell you the truth, some of these older guys. They're all caught in the be at fifteen or whatever, and didn't understand and were didn't understand reality and had problems and everything else, and so they, they, they move these guys around. So what? So if you're a predator and you're a molester, that's your perfect situation, right? Because you can do whatever you want to these people because you really have no closeness with them by design, and so these guys abuse these kids and then. A year later, boom, they're off to another parish. There's a perfect shield for them, perfect cover, because they, they do what they wanted to do and then never uh, uh, see these people again. And, that's, that, and that exacerbated the problem as far as I'm concerned. So that, that, that's, a, that's, a, uh, that's a longer discussion to be had because the, the mechanism of that – and they don't do it as much anymore. They don't move priests around as much as they, as they used to. But they used to do it a lot, very frequently, and to me that created a problem where, uh, where uh, there would be people who, who would just simply abuse people. And that was the other thing. They didn't see these people as – people they were accountable to because they they were it was by design the church didn't want them close to these individuals hell for a long time the priests when they when they when they said mass they said with their with their backs to the parish prior to Vatican II so i mean you know there was this kind of disassociation 
And just and 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 just the just for the uh, point of uh, order here, priests getting married is not will not solve the problem. Well, this is because the priests aren't are, aren't married. It's like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because you know, married guys or whatever are going to be just as susceptible. If you're a predator, you're a predator. Being married isn't going to change whether or not you do that or not. When you, when you abuse a child, that's not just because you don't have a, a woman around. That's just re- the most ridiculous thinking I ever heard, that, that people thought that maybe if we just allow priests to get married, we'll end the sexual – it has no understanding at all in any way, shape, or form about the, what, what's going on with people who abuse other people. So anyway, that's the story in Pittsburgh. 301 priests, and there's a lot more to it, but uh, I want to get to Kim, who's just uh, arrived here, and we're going to get her in. Uh, one of my old friends from the Tea Party movement. And then, of course, I have my buddy from Nutrition HQ, Ricky Hall, going to be in here as well. He is on his way to becoming yet another proud new sponsor of Radio Free Almond. And speaking of uh, sponsors... Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency, 855-QUOTE-ME for all of your home, auto, and life needs. And if you're young, he's got a great deal for you. 855-QUOTE-ME. And don't forget about my friends over at Santino Cigars and Cocktails, Vogel Road in Arnold. They have your bottle, and they certainly have your cigar. And don't forget also, you know what? My man over at Mattress King, One Mattress King on Facebook, has some of the most comfortable mattresses you're going to find anywhere in the land. And... Chris, it's by appointment only. And if you call him at 636-698-5167, 636-698-5167, you make that appointment. But if you go to One Mattress King on Facebook, you get in. He does it by appointment so he can keep the costs low. These are... These are symbol mattresses, 1961, where they first started. Comfortable, filled with bamboo, and man, these are the least expensive and the highest quality mattresses you're going to find anywhere in the land. One Mattress King on Facebook. Appreciate Dr. Naputi, too. Going to go see him today. NaputiWellness.com. And thank you to Discovery Design, discoverydesigninc.com for setting us up in this beautiful studio here. Good morning this morning. Lots of kids on the way to school, so happy first day of school to all of you. Kim Paris, come on in, baby. Walk in here, get you all set up. There she 
All right, Kim Paris. Hi. How long has it been? Uh, a long, long time. You looking good? Well, and looking strong as always. Getting getting a little chubbier, you know. I get to wear my pajamas to work, <laughs> and, like, and then I got here at seven oh six. But I should have been early because early's on time. Uh, but you know how it goes. You put clothes on because I wear pajamas to work. Yeah, I'm like, well, that makes me look fat, and that <laughs> put makeup on. I did my eyebrows. Oh, you know, eyebrows are yeah are they need to be on point. They're the thing. So they look okay, Jamie? I don't look like... You look beautiful. Do I, I look like Oscar on <laughs> Sesame Street? Are the eyebrows too much? I kept you uh, waiting in there too long. I'm sorry. I, I, no I, I kind of started with this whole thing with the... Uh, with the... Um, Thanks, what's, a, what's the deal? Oh, okay. What's that? I had switch boxes, whatever was Oh, okay. Uh... Yeah, I was kind of on this uh, tear, and, and I was right in the middle of this explanation of the whole inside of the uh, St. Louis Catholic Church when I was working there, so I had to get into that a little bit. Ain't that something? Yeah, talk into that microphone, though, dear. Kim Paris. Man, we went, we go way back. Camo X. Camo X. Mr. Highland hired me there. Uh, or directed John Angelides, the news director, to hire me there, which was... Good was old John Angelides. <laughs> well, and boy, what a difference, too. Working in the newsroom, I was writing for Morning Drive. I won three National Headliner Awards for public service reporting. I was really proud of that. a pretty big deal, by the way. The Headliner Awards in radio, those are like, uh, those are those are big deals. Those are like, uh, I guess like the equivalent of like Emmys or, I mean, those are big deals. I was, I was... Pleased. You know, the thing is not even that I'm such a good writer. It was just thinking outside the box because this was leading up to the earthquake. Remember, mm-hmm. we were going to have the big earthquake. Yeah, I've been and browning. Everybody. Yep. Yep. I've been browning. Everybody's freaking out. And Mr. Angelides handed out the assignments. Well, Joan, I want you to because uh, this was a, a, a series of things that they were going to do, stories they were going to do in Morning Drive. And Joan was covering what the response is going to be from the electric company. We go through all the utilities. And it occurred to me that what I would find more interesting, I had young children at the time, is how the children are reacting. Nobody thought of that, you know. The the And this was more than even just duck and cover. I mean, the, it, there was a date. It was imminent. And we're all going to die. Right. And so um, it was actually a, a, a couple packages that I did with a child psychologist. And talking about that and how to talk to our children about it. And, and of course, with my children, they were like, are we going to die in an earthquake? I'm like, please. Yeah. Well, those were the <laughs> no. days, too. When Imagine those when, when that was all we had to worry about was some goofball predicting an earthquake. But I, I, but I remember it was a real deal. And how this guy wound up getting so much credibility is beyond me. But, you know, one thing I will say as an aside, though. And and those headliner awards are those are big deals. By the way, I say they're like Emmys. Actually, they're a lot better than Emmys. You can win an Emmy and, like that. But anyway, the, but but uh, you know what? I thought that the I thought that KMOV. I actually that's when I determined that they were actually maybe trying to kill me, because you know where I was sent to cover the earthquake. New Madrid. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. You were young. You were hungry. Yeah. You were lusting for one of those. It wasn't. Right I, 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 it's true. I was one of the newest reporters there, and, and they sent me, and, and they go, I know where we'll send you for the impending earthquake, right where the earth is supposed to separate, New Madrid. 
Well, Go knock yourself out, buddy. At, at least you had a date. <laughs> yeah. You knew when it was going to open up, so presumably you would have had some preparation. It was well, you, October 16th, right? Yes. Remember three, it? Like it was yeah, one of those days, three, 11th or something. No, I, I think it was the 16th. Okay. I think I remembered it's three days after Sammy Hagar's birthday, which is <laughs> really the yardstick for everything that matters. Yes. It's like, am I going to get his birthday in? All right. <laughs> but I remember you... Uh, uh, in the elevator. So KMOX, KMOV, were you three stories up or three stories down? Well, we were on the ground level back in the news. We were in the newsroom there, but we had offices up on the second, third floor, like the sales offices, whatever. So there were, there were many times that I would see you in the elevator. Yes, and and you're just you were so cute and, and <laughs> I was new. Back when but, I was young, yes. Well, <laughs> you know I really dig this lighting. Anyway, by the way, it's this cool, is isn't it? great digs. I, I think it makes us look better. We're older. It's like a, a a tube amplifier, right? It's very kind. So I hope the new yeah. studio is like this. Well, one of the one of the things about it, and and I, I know this is, sounds weird, but um, I'm a lamp person, so I like lamps everywhere overhead lights i could do without but lamps are my thing you know but i I, I totally get it mid-century modern my children tease me because my house is like a lamp store oh yeah and they're and they're all on uh because you have to throw pools of light Uh and they're all on on dimmers so but that could be kind of intimacy thing it's a it's a there's something cozy or intimate about lamps everywhere i like that a lot so, Kim Paris, you went on from an illustrious uh, journalistic career there at KMOX. And by the way, so many great stories to tell about Bob Hyland. And, and you know what? I will tell you one thing. How I even got that job. Mm-hmm. The, the late, great John Angelides, he, he was uh, – that, that breed of news boss uh, is – that's uh, – that, Breed has gone away, I think. But he was he's a good guy, John oh, Angelini. And, and Jamie, you remember because that's where we come from. You would when we would write morning drive, we'd actually print it out, right? Mm-hmm. Like on a teletype, I think maybe I'm not sure, uh crayons in Iraq, but uh but he would literally take a red pen to copy and you could not use an adjective. An adjective. <laughs> but yeah. you remember. Yeah. yeah. You there was no puns allowed to be cutesy. It was just so straightforward. Yeah. And Mr. Angelides is is rolling over in his grave. I know he is. Oh I bet he is. And it's just so it's so odd too, because last night I was having a Facebook conversation with my old boss Alan Cohen. Do you ever know Alan Cohen? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alan is such a great guy, and I worked with him. He was the general manager. General manager and vice president. And, and Alan was one of those guys, he began as an engineer at KMOV. Like, he was a, he was a CBS right engineer, which is unheard of these days for these guys now in the executive branches of broadcasting to have actually paid their dues in some of the grittier aspects of TV. But Alan Cohen was an engineer first, then became vice president general manager, and he never lost that down-to-earth approach to his employees and to his people, and he was so good to me. And and uh, so he and I had a conversation yesterday because now he was up in Michigan, and, and his wife Roberta is uh, her health is kind of off and on. And uh, I got a chance to thank him for all the all the great things he did for me, and for just being a great boss and a great guy. And so it's interesting, kind of we kind of like uh, old home week here at uh, 
at Radio Free Almond. It, it, it yeah. seems like forever ago, and it seems like not long ago at all. And and you know, I followed you, and 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 you're just so you're so cool and fun, and <laughs> you're you. wicked smart, and I've. Always, always enjoy listening to what you have to say. And Thank you, Kim. That's a- you didn't see me behind you in the elevator going, <laughs> because as soon as you turned around, I was like. <laughs> well, you're a, you are a sweetheart. And actually, you know, that's a, that's a high compliment coming from you because uh, you are a person who, for a long time, just really, you were in the trenches of the conservative movement uh, of the Tea Party. Uh, you got your hands dirty. You were out there. You were you were conservative before it was cool, uh, at least in pushing for common sense conservatism. And then you also became a very big supporter of President Trump as well during the campaign. So let's backtrack though to the Tea Party days because because I'm convinced, and I said this on the air before, that and, and some people in the Tea Party might not admit it. But we have President Trump in part thanks to the efforts 100%. of the Tea Party. 100%. I'm not, I, I don't claim to uh, be early Tea Party, Centelli Rant Tea Party. Um, I was working in, in nonprofit management at the time. And it was actually uh, when Herman Cain entered the scene. And I was watching uh, the first debate, and I still had a, a child in college. And um, what's his name in Texas? Perry. Oh, Rick Perry? Yeah. Uh-huh. He was talking about free tuition for illegals. <laughs> <laughs> and my wig caught on fire. <laughs> and then standing right next to him was Herman Cain. Uh-huh. And I'm like, who is this guy and I immediately was sucked in and and he was the first outsider and you know how grassroots works true grass work yep. roots I I uh, went online just so I could get some yard signs and then you start watching because it was true grassroots Herman Cain was oh yeah and you start watching how things unfold and you start getting sucked in you're like well actually and not to be bossy or a bragger but you just see where your skill set because there's a lot of stuff I don't do well right and and I think often in life the smartest thing to do is just be really clear on what you do well and what maybe more importantly what you don't do well yeah (laughs) and get in your lane and stay there but um I started volunteering and worked my way up to ultimately being um, Herman Cain's state campaign director. But it was the black conservative movement. So the stars were before me, you know, and especially out of St. Louis. We have a lot to be proud of because here's where Gina Loudon came from and Dana Lash Dana, uh-huh. and Kevin Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have a, a real legitimate claim to that movement as much as Jenny Beth Martin and them do out of Atlanta. Uh, but that I came in a little bit later, jumped in. It was a black conservative movement. Herman Cain, C.L. Bryant, um, a multitude of others. Kevin Jackson, um, the one with PJ Media, uh, Afonso Rachel. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and 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 it was so exciting because to you know the internet actually it was rather kind of new yeah, for right. organizing. Oh, sure. And when we saw what we could do, that's when being online and trolling, that was some legitimate trolling, man. <laughs> yeah. Because we were dealing with Ron Paul. And let me tell you, there's nothing like a Ronulin. Hashtag Constitution Money Bomb uh, and the Fed meet you under the Del Taco. And they knew their stuff. So yeah, when you're out there, it wasn't name calling. I mean, I had, I had 
Word docs that I could pull up. And after a while, I could do it by memory, but I'd save myself time when you're out there. Copy and paste or change it up enough to be fresh. But I could argue 999. Right I on. know my 999. Herman Cain. Get on the Herman Cain train. The 999 plan. And it was legitimate debate. Yep. Of course, you know, you're up against Romulans, and that's why these days anybody who complains about trolls, I'm like, Pfft. Well, here's the thing, though. That's that's the thing about – and I've dealt with the Ron Paul – and in fact, I, I went to bat for them big time during the 2012 debacle there in St. Charles when they were trying to shut them out of that whole thing there. And I, I stood up for them then. But I will tell you, though, uh, it, was, it was, in my opinion, with Herman Cain and Ron Paul, those two people, I thought that Herman Cain had the best chance of winning, is mm-hmm. what I thought, and the best chance of, of our, and he was so great at what he did, so energetic. And I, it's hard to believe nowadays with the kind of stuff that we have seen go before us with what politicians have done, that kind of thing. It's almost sad to think that he was cast aside for something so small and, and that he was – it was almost like they just simply wanted him out uh, because I don't think he should have ever left the race. I, I know he did for a lot of reasons, but I don't think he should have ever left the race. And, and uh, I love the guy, and I thought he was just kind of run out of town on a rail unnecessarily. Well, and then and, and that – is what happens, I think, when you're on the vanguard, right? We look back on that now, and it seems so quaint. I, I told you this when, when we've when we've when we've talked on the phone. I have a picture of uh, Mr. Kane and myself, and we're in front of the Capitol, and I was invited up there. Uh, and, and another great story, maybe for another time, attached to that in uh, Andrew Breitbart's house. He had just died, and meeting with the Tea Party people to get them behind Romney, but. I have a picture that my son took who is there with me uh, of Mr. Kane and I, and and we're kind of head to head, right? And if you wanted to read into it, it would look intimate. I purposely kept what he was doing was telling me to stop talking <laughs> because <laughs> I, had, I had things to share. There were speakers and I think he was leaning over and he's like, Shh, I'll talk to you after this, Kim. I'm like, okay, right on. Right on. But uh, I purposely kept that picture to myself because I didn't want to contribute to that kind of character assassination. And again, now that seems so quaint yeah, and I know. sweet. Um, so times have changed so rapidly, but to your point, yes, I think Tea Party does. It, it, it showed us that we have a voice that we can come together and actually make a difference. It's evolved now into the Freedom Caucus, which is a little better organized. Um, and, and I, and I think that Herman Cain was the first outsider and President Trump will be looked at as the first Third party right. president right. to be elected, and and so the the few liberal friends I have left, and they're hard to keep. I mean, I have to get an inbox with them and say, "But I still love you." Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I sure wish McCain. He's my favorite Republican, John McCain. You're sure, right? Yeah, whatever. But uh, but it, it, our our liberal friends don't understand uh, that th- th- it's cognitive dissonance. We're walking in in more or less lockstep. And and that's new for the Republican Party, right? The Democrats, they've been able to do it forever. There's very little they disagree on. But when you look at the Republican side and Tea Party, they used to say the Tea Party. There is no the Tea Party because depending on what part of the country you go in, uh, into a meeting, they each have their own uh, 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 mission. And, 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 right. and so – but we came together in – 
It is the revolution within our party. It's the Republican revolution, and and we delivered Donald Trump. It's like, ha-ha, yeah, because well, we're pissed. We're, we've been pissed for years. It's like, here's Donald Trump. Deal with it. And and now they're going through their own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can, what listen. What a train wreck. Oh, and, and they don't and, – and they're just – they don't have anybody. And they've, they've actually had to now uh, uh, pivot to a person that has adopted a, uh, a pursuit of a system that we see in Venezuela as opposed to anywhere in the U.S. And so you're like, wow, that's all you got there? But to your point about the Tea Party, I think uh, the Tea Party taught us about the non-traditional candidate. And, and, and the, the Tea Party taught us that – and, you know, some of the Tea Party candidates didn't work out that well. I get it. But not any better – the Republican candidates didn't work out that well either to some degree. But the Tea Party taught us that there's something other than the establishment Republican. And, and, and I have to tell you, uh, as much as the Republicans thought that President Trump was going to ruin the party – uh, they're so tone deaf. They had no idea that they were the ones ruining the party because they ought to thank the Lord that President Trump ran as a Republican because mm-hmm. he could have run as an independent and the Republican Party could have gone the way of the Whigs if it weren't for President Trump. So these guys better be thanking their lucky stars that President Trump wound up actually preserving the party, even though to some degree it didn't necessarily deserve it. Uh, you know, preserving the party as opposed to destroying it. Well, it brought all of us good people along. And yes. that's why every time he acts up, we it, it, it's it's entertaining at times. Sometimes it's cringeworthy, but overall it's very gratifying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you something else, Jamie. This has occurred to me more than once. I think that if the deep state had if, – if, well, if any of us had a crystal ball, but certainly if it had been understood then just how dangerous in that regard Tea Party was going to be – Lois Lerner and the IRS would have been the least of it. I think that we would have had. I always wondered even then why they didn't plant people at our rallies. You know, I did a couple of great rallies with a lot of really great people at Patriot Field of the Dreams rallies for common sense. Oh, so we were we were secluded and out there in arms, so I didn't think anybody would mess with us. But at other places, what was to prevent them from putting people in a couple of hoods out there? Even now, when they, when they said in Charlottesville, those guys with with collared shirts and and tiki torches yeah. from Lowe's mm-hmm. are are the right it's like, A, first of all, <laughs> that's too douchey no. for me. <laughs> no, whoever that – I don't know. I don't know where the hell that whole thing came from. They're too douchey. But yeah. how can I say douchey? But, yes, of course. But uh, <laughs> but who's to say – how do they assign an ideology to anybody that's out there? Mm-hmm. How, how can they assign them to us? I'm not Westboro Baptist Church, but they're easy to identify. But if they see you know, white crap out there – Check them out. Won't happen. Can't happen. But, you know, who did they vote for? What's their background? We don't know. They could be anybody, and surely they are. And the Tea Party was – it was – they were treated so unfairly by the news media. And, and uh, if you just look at, like, for instance, someone That's like – That's why we, they think we're dorky. Oh, well, yeah, but, you know, they would, go to the, they would go to these rallies. And first of all, they would say, look at all these people. They're all white. It's like, well, you know, okay, what, what's, what's the problem with that? For that matter, but the, but on the other hand too, uh, the the Tea Party was a there was never any I, I tried to uh, 
tell people to come up with one example of anybody in the Tea Party ever breaking a window, lighting anything on fire, wearing a mask over their face, uh, using racial slurs or whatever else. Not, not one example of it. And I'll never forget one time, I think there were people when, when they had to come up with something, they were in a Sarah Palin rally and somebody stunted and brought like a monkey, right? Remember that? They mm-hmm. brought like a, a, a stuffed monkey or something. They go, look, the Tea Party, they're all racist. It's like it was just somebody, <laughs> some liberal who, decided, who knew that the media would, would identify like a, a, a stuffed monkey and make the Tea Party racist. So uh, talk about a movement that was so maligned and, and so lied about. Could have been worse. They didn't know how bad it was going to be, no. Jamie. No, they didn't. They did not know. Yeah, and and, and some of them. Now it was true that, that ultimately, when it came time for the for the uh, the sixteen primaries and that kind of thing, there was division within people who had, were with the Tea Party about about who their candidate was, but. Big deal. It's always been the case. There were some people who, who liked Ted Cruz. There were some people who liked uh, President Trump. Other people who liked Scott Walker. I mean, it was it was it, it was typical. Um, and the Tea Party never shied away from accepting differences, even within the movement. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, and and we see that now with the acceptance and the embracing, indeed, of the hashtag Walk Away people. Yeah. And, and, you know, they make that move and then they enthuse about what it feels like now being on this side. But again, you know, whether it's, and they're just invisible until they're not. Right. There are black conservatives, you know, the fact that that one rally for common sense, almost my entire lineup was black. I had Herman Cain, C.L. Bryant, um, Alfonso Rachel. Who's the – see, this is why whatever I can't do my – Whatever happened to him? Uh, he's, he's still out there doing his own okay. thing. Okay. But this is why I can't do my own show, Jamie, because I don't have recall. It would be like the Charo show. I'd be oh, spending all hour going, who is that? No, 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 Help no, me no, out, chat if, room. If, who am I talking no, about? <laughs> if that were the standard, I wouldn't have my own show. You have great recall. You know, do you know how many times I've, I've actually had to go on the uh, – <laughs> go on the go on my Facebook feed and say, who was – what's your name again? Kellyanne Conway. Oh, okay. Never, I mean, it's that kind of thing. So uh, believe me, if that were the standard, I, would, I wouldn't have a show either. The other, the other uh, black conservative goes way back. This is OG, Alan. Oh, I know. Yeah, Alan West. No, 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 oh, no. Okay. Oh, that. So you're, you're Bertie Betteridge. Are you watching? Uh, and Alan might not even be right. He goes way back to. I mean, he, oh shoot, shoot, shoot. I'll think of it. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so it was an all black lineup, and 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 that was. Uh, of course, not notice. It's it's not going to be, but it wasn't even particularly newsworthy in what we were doing because it's just what we're doing. Yeah, I'd love it if you did a show on Radio Free Almond. <laughs> I've run out of things to talk about. Yeah, you and you and you and Gia ought to get together. You guys have a have a show on Radio Free Almond. You know, Gia Valenti. Yeah, you could. You, could, you guys could have a lot of fun. Well, there's a bar right Call there. Some, yeah, right. Exactly. They, people don't know what cool digs you have here. I didn't know either. It's yeah. like I'm trying to – and I got here, by the way, at 7.06. I'm running a business, Jamie. People need to understand that I'm reliable. That's what we need to get to uh, as well. No, 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 I, no, no. I no. Well, because I, I wasn't uh, – uh, see, here's the problem is it wasn't that I was uh, – Scott Opel said Alan Combs. Alan Combs no, is not no, black, no. Scott. No, thanks, Scott. <laughs> Although, but but here's here's the deal though. No, what I was saying is uh, the uh, 
that, people that, think I'm a dirty hippie. No, I got here at seven oh six. But but here's the problem: is I was on this. I was on this. I got trapped because I was on this train regarding the Catholic Church oh, that I that I couldn't get off of in terms of just trying to finish what I started, and so that's why it's I delayed good. you. But it's okay. But what no, I want a, you to know I was coming in from St. Charles. And you know these are this is a pretty you know you're in kind of a Tony area. We well we're down we're almost downtown and coming in from St. Charles you you might as well go to Lambert and see if there's a flight down here <laughs> to, to get here faster. It was okay. I got I got here. It was poor planning on my part really. I didn't realize that I you know couldn't wear my pajamas and I had to do my eyebrows. But <laughs> actually, <laughs> I you still could have done that. By the way, look at me. I mean. That'll be, that'll be next time you have me. But yeah, this is a really cool place. Share with people more about this. So there's a curtain here in front of us, but there's a bar behind that. I'm told. Yeah, we've had we've had situations. We've we did a an open house here when we first started. We started in May, and we had a place. Uh, this was this was. We initially came down here, looked at the place, and this is where they do uh, a lot of musical shows. And they have they have some bands here, and they have the gaslight music, and uh, they this is where this is this provided the birthplace of the Bernie Sisters. I don't know whether you ever heard of the Bernie Sisters, but they are an amazing band. Two little girls, basically, who are probably about six months away from being one of the biggest acts in American music, but I'm just telling you. But anyway, they're going to be at Lou Fest and everything else. And all the Lou Fest bands uh, last year came through here and practiced and did whatever. People do all kinds of recording. And then, yeah, on the and other side. And then the public can watch. And, yep. And, and on the That's other side so of the cool. class, you have the bar there. And eventually, uh, I don't know how we're going to do this, but eventually what we might do is we might do some shows where we do uh, the audience out there and, and us in here. So we'll, we'll, we'll do it that way. But um, the, Ber- the Bernie sisters, I'm going to have to look them up. You know, I threw a, a party and a fundraiser uh, once with Head East as the oh, headliner. Yeah, yeah. And going through. Uh, <laughs> Head East. I know. Listen to you. Ro- well, Roger Boyd. I love Head East. Roger Boyd, the only original remaining member, was dating one of my good friends in high school when she was in high school, Debbie Boatman. And she's on the cover of one of their albums. They ended up getting married. I was so excited. I got fired from my first job at McDonald's because they were playing at the the Eagle Amphitheater. I asked uh-huh. for the day off. I didn't get it. So I called in sick. They knew better. But it was totally worth it because we were with Headies. We got to go to the front of the roller coaster line and everything. But when I, when I booked them through their agent to play this party, they offered me the Jonas Brothers that were new. Oh, yeah. For another, right, right. For another $500. I'm like, nah, oh. that's okay. <laughs> Who the heck are they? Who needs a boy band at our party? We're Harleys. Ah, uh, Right? Just had to. I had to pick that up for a second here, just to just to get back into it a little bit. I, we always have to kind of talk over it a little bit because otherwise Facebook might yank me off. I don't know whether they do it for Head East, but probably. Forgot how great now, these guys you are. You love the blues. I know you got. Look at that picture. Oh yeah. Who am I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jamie. We can get you taken care of there. Susie Gorman was earlier, and thank you, Susie. By the way, she took these pictures. By the way, awesome. And, uh, so she's uh, well, not that one, but she took this one for me. It's awesome. Susie Gorman uh, is responsible for some of those pictures. But yeah, Hetty eats. Listen to you. Back to the Casey days. You go to the, you go to the Casey pig roast, did you? Super Jam. Oh, yeah, Super Jam. Oh, Lord. 1977, right? King Biscuit Flower Hour. Oh, yeah. 
So Joe Mama Mason was an intern at KSLQ. And I called up to make a request, and he started flirting with me. Of course he did. Took me to a Renaissance concert. Yeah, was I that, got a couple in, of Joe Mama Mason stories. Was that in? Uh, was that's when he was Casey, right? That no, KSLQ. we were kids. It was KSLQ. when he was an intern at KSLQ. Oh, KSLQ. And then, of course, I joined the military. I leave. I I work on a murder case. I come back. I move back home. And uh, he, that's when he was at. I guess Casey with that with the other curly headed dude, and uh, of course I had to give him trouble and tell him it took Miss Denmark to fill my shoes. I'm getting some words that the is the uh, is the app off, Matt? Is there is it because of the uh, did we when we messed around with that box? Did we uh, did we did we turn the app off? Uh, because people are saying that the app isn't uh, isn't on now. I'm wondering if we when we messed around with that hang on, hang on a second here. Not it. When we messed around with that box, um, whether or not the uh, we, we I can see some bars. I just don't know whether we're uh, the stream went down because so many people knew Kim was coming in. <laughs> oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> Stream's overloaded. Uh, it, but it. I'm hang on, hang loose here for a second, baby. I want to see what's going on here. Do we? Uh, oh, app is working fine here, says Linda. All right, so some of you people are just apparently, I don't know what's going on, but the app is working fine, says Linda. So we're we're in good good shape there. So can I have a longer cord next time? Yeah, well, we're going to fix it. Well, apparently this thing, there's something not working over there or something. So we're going to. Um, that's why we had to put you in some different thing there, but. Uh, well, these Mickey Mouse Next time you'll the- have a longer cord. That would be nice. I mean, I'm not complaining. No, I know you're I not complaining. I just, it's just, you, I want to you stay in your shot. And- <laughs> yeah. Um, we, just had a, we just had an issue with that box over there, apparently. Oh, and I, that was, was assuming working. I'd be invited back. Oh, that was pretty presumptuous of me. Well, we have, we have a lot still more to talk about. And I've got my uh, buddy Ricky Hall who's coming in later, too, uh, if he's not here already. Oh, there he is. Ricky Hall, sunglasses. You outside, Ricky? <laughs> Can't tell. He's my guy from Nutrition HQ. All right, so what do you have in your hand? I brought a present for Andrea. Oh, you did? Yeah, because <laughs> I play nice with girls, and uh-huh. I knew that I, we were going to talk about me crushing on you. And it was like, you know, what would be something nice of this girl flirting with my man? I'm not flirting. I brought a present for your wife. So that's glass. I have a pendant. Now, we don't sell pendants. Well, that's beautiful. But, you know, I'm a fan of glass, and I've developed a marble problem and a pendant problem. So many of the artists, they blow glass, you know, one of the well-known, uh, although it's still underground scene that, and, and may stay that way, the Chinese take over the way they intend to, but... Uh, salt says we call it a spoon because it feeds my family. So a lot of these guys that will blow tobacco glass, um, they they do other things too. Though they do these pendants, they'll do marbles which are collectible. So I picked uh, that's probably no lie one of my favorites out of my collection for Andrea, and she can put it on a chain. Yeah. I wear mine on on hemp or leather. Very nice. And so. Okay, so now let's speaking of hemp and speaking of glass. 
Are you? Ha- are she I can on- hear you. On- no, I think you're unleashed now. You can't hear it. Yeah, but that's okay. I can hear you. Is your headphone not working now? No, but I can hear you. We're right here. Okay. Um, so, uh, the um, the uh, the situation with your new company and, and the glass uh, and, and what what is it? How do we find out more about it? What are you doing? I love the fact that you're entrepreneuring with beautiful glass. What are you doing? I, re- you know, I didn't come here to promote this, I know. Jamie. I'm, I'm the one bringing it up because I was I was interested by it. About um, it. well, if you invite me back next time, I'll come with a special code for yeah, your people. And awesome, thank you so much. Yay. Um. So, well, it's ApacheBlaze.com. 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 And uh, I own this with my business partner, Eve. We met in the military a long time ago, Private Benjamin era, and that's no lie. We were both air traffic controllers. Uh, well, well, let's go back for a second there, though, because I, I need to go, uh, because you just said, obviously, uh, uh Military, and I knew that, but explain to us your military background because you are a veteran, mm-hmm. and tell us about that. And then air traffic control, then meet your friend, then start the company. Is yeah. that okay if I just if I just map that out for you? Because I, I want to go back to your military services for a second. Oh, that and and. That was a great, great time, and I have some of the same friends, and I would do it all over again. Is it the Air Force then? Navy. Navy, okay. Yeah. Well, I looked at all the recruiters. I knew this is what I wanted to do, and I'll be honest with you. I chose because of the uniforms. Air Force, (laughs) women's uniforms, they look like Cub Scout mothers. I'm like, nah. (laughs) And then Marine Corps, no, those hats, no way. Army, that sounded too hard when I was 18. I was like, Navy has some bitchin' uniforms. (laughs) They actually do. Oh, Yeah. And uh, I took the uh, I took the test. I qualified for anything I wanted to do. My grandfather was an air traffic controller, and so uh, that's I went to A school in Millington, stationed at NAS Corpus Christi. I'm really uh, I'm lucky and deprived at the same time that I didn't I wasn't able to transfer uh, because Reagan disbanded Patco uh-huh. right after I got out of training. And so what happened? Right, he fired they. Yeah. You know, and, and so our military guys, the more senior ones, were moving over into the FAA facilities, which was a great opportunity for youngsters like me. Work hard, have the ability you can get up and qualified faster. Right. Um, but yeah, so I was stationed at NAS Corpus Christi, Texas. Not shabby. I would have loved to have been on a carrier. Carrier ops are fascinating to me. I mean, you think about a plane taking off of a carrier. It's an explosion. And landing is a controlled crash. I used to practice riding backwards, which is part of air traffic controllers when they're riding on the board. Because I wanted to. And if I'd re-enlisted, I would have gone on the Lexington, which is the only place at that time women could have right. served yeah. an air traffic controller. So... Eve and I met, we were one, typically a very few women in this rate, uh, very competitive. Most of the guys we worked with, think about it. I mean, I went in in 79. So we were still just coming out of Vietnam. And these were guys that were cross-training into air traffic control. How do you learn how to be a – what do you do – okay, so you're in the Navy. So how do you then go into air traffic controlling? Like how does that happen? Like how do you learn how to – Air traffic control. I think 
I think that it's very similar to like being an attorney. You go to law school to learn some fundamentals, maybe wash out, but it's only when you get out there that you start practicing law. Air traffic control school was definitely that way. You get out of boot camp, you go to, uh, at that time it was NAS Millington, and now it's all computerized, but we actually had planes on sticks, <laughs> and we would practice, you know, the things that you say and understand airways and all that, but it, it was mostly to put pressure on you to see if you didn't need to be doing that for a living, and then when you run that gauntlet and you get out successfully, and not everyone does, um, then you're assigned to your duty station and you start at the bottom. You're working in air ops and, and you know, putting through all the flight plans and work your way up to the tower and you start on clearance delivery where you're first talking to pilots and then ground control and then local. Uh, you go into radar. And so it's a process of learning and passing tests. And actually, you would have to be certified before you could, in this process, um, by either someone who had a special FAA certification on the team, or in my case, I reached local control so fast, uh, A, because it was wide open at the top, that I didn't have enough hours on position, but yet I could do it. And that's where you've got, you've got parallel runways. And I was at a training facility. There were at any one time, probably eight, 900 pilots going through flight training. We had primary prop, advanced prop. We had advanced jet and two satellite airports. And you could be running traffic, touch and go where they're practicing, taking off and landing on each side, and you have to keep the distance between them. And then you've got aircraft of varying uh, uh, entry speeds and, and, and criteria coming into land or fitting yeah. them in. It was a kick in the ass. It was so well, much so, fun. Um, so let me you ask feel you like this a so. rock star, you know? Or when you think you're losing it because somebody will check in and you don't remember talking to them. We keep track of call letters and grease pencil in front of us. And somebody would call in at initial, entering your airspace, and you're like, did I talk to them, or is it a student that forgot to call me? But now everything has to be rearranged, and there are times where you feel like you're starting to lose your grip of where everything's at, but you can't let it show, because if it shows in your voice, and I'm a young girl, so you really have to instill that confidence and speak with authority and and dig it out. Well, you can't quit. Let me, ask, let me ask you this, though, because you, you talked about your the headset. voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, let me ask you this about the voice, because I've listened to air traffic control tapes before, and I don't know how people understand what the other person is saying. People, they talk so fast and they talk so, uh, in, in a, almost like a monotone thing. It's soothing. So I'm trying to figure out how Kim Paris sounded when she did an air traffic control. Is there, now I know it sounds weird because it's like, uh, you can't really like, uh, you can't really repeat it necessarily. But like, if I ask you to speak, to, air traffic control to, to do an air traffic control oh, like line for Lordy. me. Could you do that, or is it, or is there some kind of? Because it seems to me to be a skill that is so unusual after a while, and and also a skill in understanding what the pilot is saying and the pilot skill understanding what you all are saying. Because it's always like five four nine, five four nine, seventy uh, runway right. It's like I, I you do, do it better than that? I do. 
Well, it's easier to understand than the than the uh, Filipino ladies that do my nails. I can't even pick out consonants. It sounds like singing or humming. It's like I could never do that. But they're but but they are anticipating also what you're going to say, right? So as they're entering, depending on where they are at the process, I'm telling them the wind, uh, the speed, the direction, check wheels down, and so. You know, they're they're anticipating a lot of it in right. in that scenario, uh, and what they're really listening for is clear to land which runway, right. clear to land one three right. Uh, so the rest of it, they'll pick out anything that's unusual. Same thing for takeoff. Uh, they're anticipating because they're the one that filed their flight plan. So an air traffic controller, you know, if, if they're over a large expanse of land and they're not in an airport terminal area, they know basically what's being said. And it is a language. Like, we're going to have our own language soon. It's called writing in cursive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Delta 219. I like that. I like, I like listening to those things. I, I, I would like to learn how to do that someday. But I, I think you'd be great at it. And, and, you'd be, and, the, and the idea, too, as you point out, is the soothing voice. Because you, if, you, if, you like, uh, if, if you came over the speaker and go, Delta 219, watch oh, out. Yeah. Watch out for another planet. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, am I in a hot mic? Are you real sound? <laughs> we used to have a guy that would sit out there at the at the front or at the uh, threshold of the runway, and they're called Wheels Watch. And he's just a local dude, right? That would sit out there, and I know that he would smoke because sometimes randomly, because they have a flare gun, because we yeah. have students, and they really—I mean, sometimes they need to be waved off. And if this wheel watch did not see their wheels down, the flare would go off, and that would tell them, and the tower would wow. know. That we'd have to put him back in the pattern and bring him around again, and sometimes randomly the flare would go off. We'd be like, "Yo, dude!" I like to see a skit of of freaked out air traffic controllers. Hey, if, if anybody's back there, uh, Ricky Hall is is outside. If you guys can grab him outside the outside the doorway, uh, anybody uh, who's out there, if you if you guys can just uh, get that get uh, Ricky in the side door. That would be awesome. Airplane. And, There's your movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there you go. All right. So anyway, fast forward then to oh. uh, the time you meet your friend. So we were air traffic controllers together. Uh, and then life moves on. I got out of the military. She stayed in a few more years. I ended up working for a private investigator. Um, saw the, it sounds weird, braggadocious, and it's not intended, but a murder case. Sold. Uh, a movie of the week about it called Love and Lies. What murder case was that? The James and Virginia Campbell murder case in Houston, Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a Sunday night movie of the week, which, you know, in the day was a big thing. Came out in 93. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, uh, and took my money and moved back home to STL. <laughs> and then it was like, well, what am I going to do? And I, I could have gone back to air traffic control, but I was married. He was in law school, and, and you can't have two engines pulling the train. But I was a big fan of NPR and KMOX, just a, a, a mm-hmm. real news junkie that mm-hmm. way. And so I chased down uh, Mr. Highland, went to KMOX, and from there, just the progression of things that I feel like I have a story. I don't feel like it. it it's not that I can't make up my mind, well, but one yeah. thing leads to another and got involved in Tea Party uh, enough that I left my job at Junior Achievement with Eve's partnership. Uh-huh. I was so pissed at Tea Party Patriots 
that I'd had this idea about Foundation for Common Sense and giving away grants to actual grassroots organizations because that's what they need. They need mm-hmm. the money on the ground. Not, we don't need more organizers taking in money and then peddling that influence, which is their call list, right, right. to insiders in D.C. And that's how I got into this. And once you're in this, and especially doing your own thing, you just can't go back, uh, we um, had a... a libertarian slant news site Mm -hmm. that we did really well same page nation a lot of really good content there we were proud of but it was the beginning of 2016 and i told eve i said then it was just clickbait where the (laughs) headline doesn't match the story now we're way past that but i said let's put that on ice i think we might have um you know this on the ballot in november would you be interested uh, in going in uh, with me, we can get a license or two for a dispensary. I don't know enough about it or about retailing, but yeah. we can leverage it, monetize yeah. it somehow. So she said, yeah, I might be interested. So I began my due diligence and um, I called her like a week and a half later and I'm like, oh no, I do not want to touch the plant at all, especially for libertarian folks like us. Yes. I mean, you talk about quid pro quo and, oh my Lord, our benevolent overlords are too involved in that. I told her, I said, I don't want to be crude, but my friends know me. Um, I told you, this is exactly how I said it. I said, to to touch the plant, it's not only like having the government camel nose under your tent flap. Mm-hmm. It's like having the camel on your lap and his nose up your skirt. <laughs> but I didn't use the word skirt. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's happening? But, but it's, it's true. The thing about this, Kim, though, is, is how ironic is it that you know libertarians and, and these uh, small government people all fight so hard for – if it's not legalization, at least it's medical marijuana, only to have the corporatists – and the big government guys then uh, basically take it over. Well, and even the local bureaucrats, look what they did in Nevada. So Nevadians, they they gave themselves uh, recreational, but then the benevolent overlords in the state capitol, they're like, well, that's very nice, plebes, but now you really need us to make sure that this is done safely, fairly, you know, for the kids. Right, right. Always for the kids. Unbelievable. And, uh, and what happened is without any RFP that anybody else was aware of, they come out with their, their guidelines and their stipulations, and lo and behold, distribution in Nevada, has been given exclusively to the liquor distributors. Of course. Now, how did that happen? Maybe Kim and Jamie's delivery service would have liked to crack at that. Right, right, exactly. So we got into the pans and shovels, and I know we're running out of time, but the, the short version and the most important thing about what we're doing is that it was strictly a business move to go into the pans and shovels of it all. Uh. And then I watched a documentary called uh, Decadent uh, Decadent Art. Degenerate Uh Art. (laughs) Not decadent. (laughs) You're decadent. (laughs) I'm degenerate. (laughs) Degenerate Art. Great, great documentary. It's a must watch. And it changed everything for me. And I went back to Eve. She lives in Michigan. Uh, She's mostly a silent partner. And... um, just, you know, make sure that I stay out of trouble. That's the only thing she worries about is uh, I said, we are doing all American and and we are going to do our share to perpetuate um, and protect this uniquely American 
art form. Right. So when you go to ApacheBlaze.com, everything, I mean, even my merchant account processing is American. Um, so everything we have is American. On each page, we have the artist associated with that piece. And it's fascinating, Jamie, when you see their different stories. And, and I won't go into them now, but, but they inspire wow. me. That yeah. guy right there, you're looking at the dugouts, the exotic wood dugouts. Yeah. A guy named Bob, retired cabinet maker, had a disabled friend needing to make some money. He's like, you know what? I got all this stuff in the back in my in my workshop. We can make dugouts. Now he employs between five and ten wow. uh, disabled people. These are cool. We have an exclusive line of military pipes, and I think the military pipes will be the tip of our spear. As we enter the market. I just saw a Navy one. It's a pipe with a, like an anchor yeah. on it. <laughs> That's I've cool. got Navy, Coast Guard, nice. Army. We've got more coming in. I'm working with a couple of glass blowers on zeroing in on, on what our disabled uh, brothers and sisters need in a pipe. It, it might be uh, 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 one that doesn't have a carb at all, something they can use with one hand. So we're really zeroing in on what those needs are. We'll come out with special pipes for that. So... We're very, very proud, and it's wow, exciting. This is really cool. And I like yeah. a good fight, and I've got China, China, and my side. Well, this is cool because you have, you have, um, and, and people uh, who are vapors, uh, all, have all accessories for them too. This um, is for tobacco use only, must be 21. Use only, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And, and they have the, bu- you have the bubblers, and this is a cool site, ApacheBlaze.com. Thanks, Jamie. I you. didn't expect that. No, I, I love. It. I'm, I'm fascinated. Plus, just the just the whole idea of having uh, individuals who are entrepreneurs who and and it's great. I love hearing the stories about you. Even going back to the KMOX days, where uh, one thing you can say truly about Kim Paris is that you have made whatever it is you've wanted, you have made it. So. <laughs> And that's great. I mean, that, and, and it doesn't matter whether going back to Come on, uh, deciding people. to be in the Navy, uh, deciding to be an air traffic controller, deciding to be a reporter, deciding to win awards, deciding to start your own company, deciding to, uh, to um, uh, morph the Tea Party into something different. It's just amazing. So, and then I uh, follow good, Jamie because you're that way too. When that I whole thing went least. down, yeah. And then you did this. I'm like, that is, I love that. <laughs> oh, thank you. I yeah. do. I mean, that just takes guts. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Take that. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know what? Um, you, you know, you mess with me, I'm not going to, you, you're never going to shut me up or shut me down. Uh, and it's not been easy, believe me, but uh, nonetheless, Bigger and better. Uh, I worked my ass off to where, to get to where I was. And, 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 and I did it on my own. And there was no way anybody was going to take it away from me. So I'm a, I was going to wrestle it back one way or the other. You know what, baby? That's for sure. That's right, baby. So just for you, I'm going to walk you out with a little uh, little Sammy. ApacheBlaze.com. <laughs> uh, Kim Paris, I'm telling you, I am serious about, and I think if you look at the people on Facebook, the comments, I couldn't keep up with all of them, but I think you'd be great on Radio Free Almond, to tell you the truth. If you had the time. Can I just be like a a regular guest with you? Sure. Anything you want to be. Because I know you can can be anything you want to be. So 
Be also, the best you can be. Be best, as our beautiful first lady says. I am so with you, and we didn't even get into really all the stuff about Trump. But you know what? That's why it'd be great to have you as a regular guest. Come on in. But we'll talk about that. Make sure, though, folks, you uh, check out Kim there on Facebook. Thank you to my friends that support me and everything I do. I know they were. They love you. They love you, and I appreciate them, too. All my friends live in that black box. And Kim was giving me a great, great advice on some of the youtube stuff and all that. So so eventually, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm... Learning from you once again. So, Kim Paris, great to see you. I make it up. I just say it with conviction like an air traffic controller. Right on. That's the way it is, man. You know what? <laughs> Listen, life is so easy when you mean it. And and when you mean what you say and believe what you say, it's really easy to say it. And we all have an imposter complex on some level, especially when things go well. We're like, am I really supposed to yeah, be here? And right. it's like... Yes, you are. I think this is a great idea, but every day I wonder, if it's such a great idea, why is nobody else doing it? <laughs> I love it. Well, you know what? It's You always have to challenge your presuppositions, right. you know, all the time. I learned that. You learned that as a reporter. I did, too. So, Kim Paris, let me Thank give you a hug, and then we're going to get Ricky Hall in here in just a second. Please don't pull me off for Sammy Hagar, Facebook. Lord, just give me one second, please. Love you, baby. Love you, too. Thank you for this so much. ApacheBlaze.com. Check it out. It's really, really beautiful. So, as you are too, Kim. Nice to see you. Okay, take care. All right, here comes uh, my buddy. There he is. Ricky Hall. How you doing, brother? Looking good. Yeah. Longtime friend, Ricky Hall, Nutrition HQ. NHQRocks.com. My Little Haunt is right there in uh, beautiful Brentwood. They call it Brentwood? It's Brentwood, right? No. Rock Hill. Oh, Rock Hill. Darn yeah. it. I always get that. Well, you know what. Yeah. And Rock Hill, NHQ Rocks. It all goes together, right? Right there at uh, Manchester and uh, McKnight. Right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. And I love going in there, man. I, I'll tell you what. Nutrition HQ, NHQRocks.com. You guys have kept me afloat and healthy for years now. You uh, supported the Almond Show when it was over at 97.1 and supported Common Sense Radio for a long, long time. And I so appreciate it. I, I know we're on the way to hooking you up with Radio Free Almond. But speaking of hookups, man, uh, I am doing the, uh, well, what am I doing? What is it called? Uh, lean? When a lean? Winoline, which I love. Yep. I'm doing the other... Uh, the Varela Tat. Varela Tat, which is great. And I do those together. Yes. And uh, and keep in mind, back in the old days, when you guys would do supplements and things like that, how many times would you have, like, the shakes or your eyes would water or, you know, all that kind of stuff? And it, it always made you so uncomfortable and weird feeling. And one of the things about the products at Nutrition HQ, just uniformly across the board, is there's is there something really clean and natural about them, which I love, buddy. Yeah, we go out and we try to find the best of the best, and um, we're not forced to sell a certain brand. So if you are not feeling good on something, we got other vendors or other resources, and we can modify, tweak. We can we can customize everything. Well, you have people who uh, can walk in 
And you have individuals who – Alexis, is she still there? No, she moved back to Springfield. Oh, her, she did? Her dad was uh, not feeling well. Oh, so, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, she, but, but nonetheless, you, you always hire the best. And, and, and people go in, and they're consultants. And you can go in and say, you know what? I need to drop 100 pounds, or I need to drop 20 pounds, or I need to build – muscle mass or I need to get and, – and one of the ways you learn that, not only – you might not even know what your deal is, but the other day I went in and you have this new machine there that is amazing. Yes, the in-body. The in-body. Yes. In-body, okay. And we can look in your body and see what's going on. So I stood on the machine and I learned that I could, I could even lose a few pounds – uh, and but I could also build more muscle because they do the whole body mass and the yep. weight thing, yep. right? It will tell us your hydration level. It will tell us your um, it will tell it will tell us your hydration level. It will tell us your um, muscle skeleton, your muscle structure. It will tell us your body fat percentage. It lets us know exactly what's going on because then we can say, oh, you know what? We need to get you in the weight room a little bit more. Get some more protein in your diet. Bring your muscle mass up and bring your body composition down by just tweaking your diet a little bit. Sometimes it's just just um, crazy how now that we know. I mean, we can tell how much your right arm weighs, your left arm, your right leg, your left leg. It tells us. Everything. Well, what's interesting too is when it, when, when, especially when it relates to the, the, the protein, that kind of thing, it, it tells you where you just need to adjust yourself a little bit. I mean, some people don't, they know there's something up with them. They just can't figure out what exactly it is. Absolutely. And what did it take? 15 seconds? Yes. It's, it's, it looked like a scale. Yes, it does. Yep, it's a it's, it's a space shuttle of scales. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, exactly. And 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 sometimes even it, when, when especially when it comes to this uh, exoskeleton, it, it's showing you sometimes if you're if you're not if you're not properly balanced mm-hmm. even you mm-hmm. know in terms of your spine and everything else. Well, like for me, I had uh, major knee surgery a year and a half ago, and I was curious to see what my right leg looked like to my left leg, and everything's back to normal. It was wow. crazy. I mean, yeah, that, 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 that is, that is uh, fascinating. Now, uh, you also have um, lines of, uh, like, for instance, I would use, like, the egg white protein, which I loved. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it really does, you know, when, it, when it comes to having, like, a protein that you, that, that's flavorful and it's, it's all, it's, it's pasteurized. So it's not, you're mm-hmm. not, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, Rocky style raw egg eating you're right. doing. Uh, and you could make muffins out of it and do all kinds of things. But tell me about your new line of food products as well. So we're now carrying fresh prepared meals called Fit for Me. And um, we get them delivered once a week. Or you can pre-order them. They're good for seven days, never frozen, made fresh every week. Put them in the fridge. You can swing by, buy one-offs, or you can buy a week's supply. You can buy whatever. We, we can customize that. And there's probably 40 choices. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I'm looking at the choices, and they, you've got things that normally, if you just looked at it, you would think, well, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that burrito or whatever right. it is. But really, this is this is the healthy formulation of otherwise what you might think are indulgent foods, but they're healthy formulations of it. They're healthy formulations <clears throat> that's putting the the proper macros, your protein, your carbs, and your fats together instead of empty calories. They're putting high quality um, uh, protein in it and good carbs and good fats. Wow. And, you know, here's the other thing that's so cool. You know, Kim was in the Navy, 
Uh, and I got an Air Force veteran standing right here. Yep. Yep. Six, low like, of six years. Six years in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Nutrition HQ is veteran-owned. And uh, I'll tell you, buddy, you are also a survivor. This business is so crazy. The people who are uh, – and and part of it is not really you as much as it is some of the people you deal with in the industry. Uh, It's such a weird industry that you you have to have a sole focus on doing things right, making sure your customers are getting uh, true, honest products – and believe me, that's not easily achieved in this industry. So many people who set up their shingles and just kind of like are it's, slinging hash, man. It's like, it, wow. You've got to be on your toes. <clears throat> I've been fortunate enough that I've always done a pretty good job of surrounding myself with the right people, right. the right vendors, and helping me get through the weeds and understand what's going on. I'm, it's nothing for me to go tour a facility to see really what's going on. Look at the raw materials, see how things are made, see how they're testing stuff. I'll even send stuff out and have it tested because I want to know what's going on. Yeah. And, and again, I, I can't tell you enough. I, 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 I do a lot of supplements. Uh, I do with, with Ricky. And, and so I've been through this a long time ago in my life where I've done this, and it just makes you shake or sweat, all this kind of stuff. And, and the technology has become so great if, if people care enough or people like Ricky care enough to get a hold of it that nowadays you can really do all the stuff you did before but do it without some of the weird side effects. It is, but it's also, Jamie, it's also asking the right questions, teaching our staff or our consultants to ask the right questions when you come in. Because if somebody comes in and says they're sensitive to caffeine or there's, they've been sensitive to something in the past, we, we can't put them on XYZ that maybe your, your, um, your, your umbrella yeah. company's telling you to sell. Yeah, right. You right. know, and be like, no, Jamie, you don't need this. This is what you need instead. Right. And right. then we can, and like, I'll have somebody come in and be like, oh, um, I met with um, Sherry over at the salon, and she's taking this, and I want that because she's doing this and this. And then as we ask her questions, we're like, you can't take what Sherry's taking. So oh, we've right. got to put you on this. So let's start you here, and then every two to three weeks, check in, and let's adjust, modify, and, and to switch, switch your program up a little bit. But sometimes it's not a supplement. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's not food. Sometimes it's a trainer. Right. You know, putting, right. Them, in, and putting them in the right vehicle. Yeah. For success. Yeah, which, and it's weird too. Uh, and 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 again, this isn't designed to sell you stuff. You, the the uh, the machine you have there, uh, but I I have to admit I was a little surprised. I thought I was I thought I was a little different than the machine told me I was. Yep. Uh, and, and 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 the adjustments are not drastic. It, it also told me, which is kind of cool, is how many calories I could have, and 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 eat a day. And, and let's say if I didn't do anything, right? Yep. Uh, although I, I couldn't imagine a life where I didn't do something every day right. of some right. sort. Right. But nonetheless, uh, how many I, uh, calories I could have um, and not do a thing, yep. and 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 and, st- and there wouldn't be one change to my body and at maintain. all. Maintain, yep, and maintain. So then once we have that, now we can say, okay, let's get you two days of cardio, three days of weight training. Let's move your protein up x amount of grams. And then we can reevaluate you in four weeks, and we'll start to see that 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 number changing. Right. And once we see that, like we had a lady in yesterday, we consulted with her, and we put her out. We she was I already know she was with a good trainer, so I was like, hey, how much protein are you getting? And she was, I know I'm not getting enough. And that machine validated it. Wow. 
Well, you know what's interesting too is, uh, and 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 what you're hearing from Ricky is uh, that they're consulting you. And now, generally, I, I know in other areas, uh, to get that kind of nutritional advice or whatever, you're paying like an hourly. You're paying somebody a hundred bucks an hour to get the kind of information you're basically getting for free when you walk in there. And the only thing, the only money you're spending really is on the products or whatever it is to get you to where you need to be. So, right off the top. You know, some of these people, there are people out there who you, you're paying them to tell you the very same thing that you guys are just telling them when they walk in the door. Mm-hmm. So a lot of places charge anywhere from 50 to $150 to do this analysis. Yeah. And right now we're doing them for free. And like the lady that was in yesterday, we scanned her. She didn't buy anything. We talked to her about protein. She was scared of protein. I'm like, here, why don't you take a sample? Yeah. Go home and try it. Guarantee she'll be back because it mixes up good. It's not. Right, Gar- it's not garbage. Yeah, it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, and if somebody don't like dairy, we have other alternatives. Like you said, the egg whites. Um, there's uh, there's good collagen proteins out there now. There's good um, there's good plant proteins out there now. This comes so far, so you don't have to be scared of a protein powder anymore. You don't have to be scared of a vitamin. There's some there's some really good reputable companies out there, and we've vetted them. Yeah, and the and the, yeah, because in the old days. Uh, the proteins you might get from some some place they stop you up and it's just is it it's miserable. It's the raw materials. Yeah, yeah, and the plant proteins are cool. And then also you, you have the issue where nothing ever dissolves and you have these big clumps. And I know you I know you guys have the clean protein there too mm-hmm. as uh, as well. So uh, I mean it's great, man. I'm glad your business is doing so well. NHQRocks.com is the it's website. NHQ.rocks. www.nhq.rocks. NHQ.rocks. Yep. Uh, and and you can order online, but I encourage you to go into the to, into the store uh, right there at Manchester and, and uh, McKnight there, Rock Hill. Look us and, up on Facebook. Or yeah. Give us a call. Come in. Yeah. An, I I obviously I'm partial. But I think it's an experience, and we try to create an experience for you. We're, we want to see you six to ten times a year. Yeah. If we see you six to ten times a year, I know we're going to be successful. I don't need money from you six to ten times a year. I need to see you. Yeah. We need to talk. We need to figure out what you're doing regimen-wise. Everybody needs um, accountability. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we love. And our, our consultants are obsessed with your success. Yeah. I mean – like you looking at your scans, like oh, gee. like I, I look at it, I'm like oh man, this is so coachable, and that's what's fun with it. Well, you know what's funny too is, uh, and and I've always gotten this impression from you guys, uh, is oftentimes you go in to these places that are nutrition places, and you almost feel, uh, you almost feel kind of like you're bad, like they they make you feel like you're, you know. Yeah. Like, what the hell are you doing? What are you, you know? and, and it's like, it's almost like you can be anything, whether it be a little overweight or a little this, a little that. And, and all they'll do is give you tips on how to change it. It's not like, you know, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing, you kind of, you kind of feel weird, mm-hmm. you know, but, but not at Nutrition HQ, man. No, we don't want uh, that. We want you to come in and enjoy it. We want you to ask questions. We want, you know, show you around, talk to you, do the scan. I mean, that's the only way we can help you. Well, I just saw. I I think I just saw your um, the machine. If you guys could, was it on was it on your uh, Facebook page or was it on on the Nutrition HQ Facebook page? I think it was on mine, Jamie. Um, okay. Yeah. 
But 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 you have a link to the Nutrition HQ on yours. So yep. Ricky yep. Hall on Facebook, um, and, and if you guys uh, get to Nutrition HQ, like the page, tell everybody about it. And by the way, it's really easy to get to. And and keep in mind, uh, if you're let's say you're in St. Charles, okay, uh, you're only going there one time. What is it? A week? Maybe every oh, two weeks? Maybe once a month? Maybe once, once every once six even. weeks? Okay, yeah. yeah. And so, so it's 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 worth the investment to get on in to Rock Hill and, and get into the store. And believe me, you're not paying for the kind of advice that a lot of people make sh- charge you for at Nutrition HQ. So it's a, it's all around. It's fantastic, buddy. It is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And then I'm doing also. I so I do the winnowing. I do the uh, Barilla tap. Yep, and then I do the I do the uh, multivitamin, yep. the uh, Primer packs, which yep. you're using right now. Yeah, yep. and, and those are working. out You've great got a for me. great formula going. I mean, the Winolin is just a good metabolism enhancer. Your Barilla tap is a phenomenal natural testosterone booster. Guys, don't be scared of them. They're very safe. They're yeah. very effective. Yeah. They're clean, and you just got a good uh, multivita pack. I mean, that Primer pack alone, the Cognitive formula in it is, if you took it by itself, it's thirty dollars a month. So, yeah, that's I mean, right. Yeah, that's one of the best things in it. It's got a hydration formula in it, and then it's just got a good multi and yeah. healthy fats. I like it. It, it. it feels good, and I so appreciate you uh, and, and what you're doing. And you know what? I was thinking, too, that that, that at some point, and I know you guys were, were talking this week or uh, eventually about uh, your sponsorship of the, of the show in part and everything else, but uh, – Maybe if uh, I think you and Jenna would be great on Radio Free Almond, like to have like one hour, maybe just maybe, maybe it's maybe it's on a weekend or maybe it's during the day. Uh, it doesn't be one hour a day, but it, uh, like a like a like a nutrition and health show, dude. Absolutely, we'd love it. I mean, and you've seen um, Jenna, I mean, she's an yeah. athlete, and here's a great example, too. Um, she's been training, she's a, she's a runner by heart, and she's been in training in the gym, and she was worried about where her weight was going. Put her on the end body, and guess what? It told us exactly what I knew. And then she saw it on paper. But wow. yeah, she's done an excellent job. And yeah. I mean, she's loaded from the brow up, as you know. <laughs> I so. know. You and, you and Jenna together are just great. She's, <laughs> and she's, she's, a, she's a, already, aside from uh, with Nutrition HQ and Ricky, uh, a, a well-established accountant as well. Oh, so she's, Amazing. She's my accountant. Yep, that's right. As far right. as I'm concerned. I have to use her. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's all good, I, I will, too, uh, with the brand new business. But we'll talk yeah. more about that because I think it'd be great. Because, I mean, just sometimes listening to you talk about just general nutrition issues and, and especially the mistakes that people make in uh, in their approaches to things. I mean, you wouldn't believe the kind of, first of all, the hackery that's out there on the other end, uh, but trying to do it yourself, uh, it, it doesn't really work. And, and especially if you don't have to pay for the consultancy, it's, uh, it's a no-brainer at that point. You know, Jamie, I used to speak once a year at a high school, and they came to me because they had a lot of student athletes doing supplements. And I was like, hey, let, if we're, let's, let's discuss it. Let's get it on the table because we know you're going to do it. Let's make sure you, you do it the right way. This right. is what you should be ordering. This is, you do not be going on XYZ.com because you're <sighs> not getting what you're supposed to be getting. And we did. We came up with a card that had um, a committee-approved uh, supplement regimen for use. 
and it worked out well. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up about the uh, the youth sports and the young athletes because obviously with school starting up again and football season and lacrosse and all that kind of yeah. stuff, swimming, you know, you know it, you, you name it. Uh, for you guys, uh, you can trust uh, Ricky uh, and Jenna and the rest of the gang there at Nutrition HQ uh, with your young person's health. That's for sure. So, uh, and we get all of our supplements from certified good manufacturing practices, FDA approved facilities. I mean, you've, I've driven up to facilities before and we're like, are you sure? And then when you go inside, you're like, this is the Taj Mahal of manufacturing. <laughs> right, it's pretty right. neat. I love the fact that you actually go to the, the facilities uh, where they make this stuff just to make sure everything is up on the up and up. You know you have a good facility when they constantly invite you out. Yeah. Come see this. We right. want to show you our process. Right. And it's right. neat. Yeah. They, they, they have nothing to hide. And uh, all that translates to great products there on the shelves at Nutrition HQ. Uh, NHQ.rocks is where you can find it. I didn't even know they had a oh, yeah. extension like that. Dot rocks, yeah. There's you found lot. it. I did it. Yep, you did, did it. it. <laughs> All right. Ricky Hall, thanks so much for your support, man. I, I appreciate it. For so many years, you've been a, a, a huge support. And uh, thank you for your service in the United States Air Force, too, brother. My pleasure. Appreciate that very much. That's Ricky Hall from Nutrition HQ. It's right there at Manchester and McKnight in Rock Hill. You can't miss the place. It's actually right next to that... Uh, what is that called again? Orange Theory. Orange Theory. So we have Title Boxing, Orange Theory, Us, Stretch U. And Stretch U is a great place, too, because they have the cryotherapy for recovery. So oh, yeah. I can have somebody come in and talk about uh, just not recovering. We get them on a regimen. They're still not recovering. Hey, why don't you go next door talk to Mark about cryotherapy? We just have so many resources. Nice. That's the, that's the cool place. And this Orange Theory place is just taking over the world. Boy, it really <laughs> is. It's pretty amazing. And Title yeah. Boxing and then, of course, uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a healthy little corner there. It is. I love in it. Rock Hill. I love it. All right, Ricky Hall. Godspeed to you, buddy. Thanks for coming all the way down. Oh, my pleasure. Appreciate it very much. And there's a chance of rain today in case nobody knows. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> God, what is a nightmare out there? <laughs> I got to tell you, brother. All right, man. All right, Well, Jamie. good to see you. Thanks so, so much. It's uh, Ricky Hall from Nutrition HQ. Uh, Godspeed to you, brother. Thanks a ton. See you out there in beautiful Rock Hill, Manchester. Good night. NHQ.rocks is where you can find them. And appreciate you, buddy. Take care. Be careful out there. Get on your bad motor scooter and ride, brother. Wow. Interesting. Has the N-word tape surfaced yet? Because that's what everybody's waiting for, right? Didn't have much of a chance to talk too much about that, but... Nowadays, nowadays in, in, the, in the Trump news world, all you have to do is say there might be something there, and then it becomes true. And I'll double back on what I said at the beginning of the show and tell you, as far as I'm concerned, if there was a tape of the president using the N-word... Don't you think we would have already heard the tape? Yeah, I do too. But that doesn't stop the 10 member panels there on CNN and everybody else when just assuming that it's already a done deal. Just simply saying, oh, yeah, sure, of course she said it. He's good for it. Is that the America we live in these days where you are. 
guilty before proven innocent. Unless you're a Democrat. But even then, they tried to do it to Keith Ellison. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to normally defend a guy like that. It's the scurrilous claims he's made against President Trump. But fair is fair. And they said the same thing about him. Oh, there are tapes of him assaulting a woman. There's tapes of him being misogynist. And yet they never produce the tapes. It, t- it tends to kind of uh, kill your case. He wound up winning, by the way, that election in Minnesota. He's now the state's attorney general there. He won the election even though... I, listen, it might be true that he's a mean guy to his girlfriend or was or whatever, but she said there was a tape and they never produced it. So, again, you know, I, I, I'm going to defend righteousness and justice no matter how horrible the person on the other end of the exa- accusation happens to be. And I think I've been able to establish that with uh, a guy like Keith Ellison, who I really have no love for at all. But I have uh, more of a love for the truth. And uh, since that's the case, uh, I'm going to defend people even when sometimes they necessarily don't always deserve my defense. I think when it comes to uh, being right and uh, being righteous, I think I'm uh, in the right place. So tomorrow, uh, Jim Talent's going to be with us, and we're going to have uh, Jimmy Carafano on the next day, and then Doug Giles will join us on Friday. I don't know whether you all saw, I have it up on the, uh, the Facebook page, the, the Radio Free Allman Facebook page, that painting that he did, the latest painting Doug did with uh, President Trump and Melania. It is really cool. And I encourage you to uh, to to check it out and 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 see what's up with it because it is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, it's and and it's uh, Melania's got like a like a handgun in her um in, in like on her thigh strapped to her thigh and he's like holding a gun. It's it's really kind of cool. It's James Bond like and he's and he sold the original for God knows how much money. And then wound up uh, uh, now selling prints of it and that kind of thing. So I put that up on the Facebook page. And so I appreciate you all. Don't forget about the uh, gear at RadioFreeAlman.com. That's where you can find it. And you can uh, check it out at RadioFreeAlman.com for all the brand new colors and everything of the tanks. And we've got the hats out there. I even put the hats there uh, up on uh, the uh, Facebook page for all the fans who have been showing me their pictures and, and bragging on their swag from the reaches of their vacation so i appreciate that as well so have a um great rest of your day everybody appreciate you listening to the show thank you kim paris for stopping in ricky hall appreciate you as well you folks on the facebook page thanks a ton for that too don't forget to thank all my supporters whether it be nutrition hq Discovery Design, DiscoveryDesignInc.com. One Mattress King on Facebook. Thank you, Chris Kahneman, for your support. Thank you to Mike and Shannon Marino there at Santino's Cigars and Cocktails, Vogel Road in Arnold. 
really easy to get to no matter where you happen to be. Thank you, Dr. Deputy. DeputyWellness.com. I'm on my way, buddy. Also, thank you to Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. 855-QUOTE-ME for all your home life and auto needs. And if you're a young person, you've got a kid who needs insurance, lowest rates for young people you're going to find anywhere. 855-QUOTE-ME. Thanks a ton, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.